it is time to tune up the band and give your World Heavyweight Championship to a movie star, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chidwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello there, chaps. How you doing? Is this, is this the day? Is this the day? Is yep. this number 50? Is yep, this the day? number 50. Holy to the centurion. Yeah. Yeah, the heart we 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 we've we've done a very good batting average, haven't we? Half century already. This is it's crazy. Yeah. Cricket references. We've got them in abundance, everybody. Yep. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, it's been um it's been a very weird week where it was kind of quiet up until yesterday. <laughs> It was basically like all the. It was like a bunch of news just happened all at the same time. (laughs) Yes, I loved how from that point, like every news site and every YouTube channel scrambled for content. Oh, the moment that like anything was being announced, I just see some like notification people like, "Yo, my new video just dropped." I'm just like, (laughs) uh. So it it's it's that that was that was quite a sight to behold, especially with the news that did come out. But we'll get to that in due course. Uh, as ever, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and always forever pending other platforms. Eventually, we'll, we'll just... be we'll be able to run this off a, of one of those American style fridges, like you can run Doom off of anything. Listen, one day you will be able, we will be like Doom and run it off of Yeah, is that going to become like our new universal standard? Can you play our podcast on it? Yes, that is it. And remember, folks, for our 50th episode, always remember to always, and I mean always, be pending. <laughs> Buy the shirt and wear it out and let people know that you are always pending. That, mm. is, that is the What a Maneuver store. That is whatamaneuver.com <laughs> for Sweet Chin Wag merch, especially the Forever Pending shirt, which I'm not going to say I designed, but, you know, I designed. I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> take, 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 take the credit. It's a good shirt. the link tree. <laughs> oh, right. So before we get on to our episode on part two of the history of WCW, it is time to visit Dan for this week's and for the 50th instalment, probably more like 48th or 49th, because I feel like we, did, we didn't we did do a couple of news things. I'm, uh, I'm we, saying it's 50. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll call it 50. The 50th this instalment. Is episode, this is episode 50, so it's 50. I don't have enough time to qualify. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the 50th instalment of Wrestling News. Dun, 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 down, down, dun, 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 down, 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 down. Wrestling News. <laughs> Gotta make advantage of the deep voice that I have today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what we'll just start off with is a, a quick week review because there's a whole bunch of stories that have come out. Yes. Um I'm gonna say my highlight from Raw this week um was Xavier Woods versus uh Matt Riddle, who again, brackets gonna make my position clear on this because some people seem to get it some people get it twisted. Uh shouldn't be there. Mm. Or at least shouldn't be there until things are cleared appropriately yes but um i just want to reaffirm my position which is that uh we said before uh, i believe during the new day episode i believe it was episode four or episode three <laughs> um that any member of the new day could do a incredible singles run yep kofi's done it biggie is on the road to it 
and I don't want people forgetting about Xavier Woods for a second. Exactly. Yeah. Because exactly. Xavier Woods is great. Yes, he like, managed genuinely to pull, such a good talent. He managed to unironically pull off an, an Apollo Creed gimmick in TNA for years. I'm pretty sure he could do it. He, he's got the chops to do it. Man can do anything he wants. Exactly. Man can do anything he wants. So I'm I'm so happy that he's back, um, and you know back in full form really. Mm. Um, especially after how he's been with injuries before, and it's just kind of great to see. Um, to see him thriving. Yeah. Still loving the Mortal Kombat gear as well. Can't oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Uh, Sam, what would you say was your highlight of NXT this week? Oh. Um, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to say Cameron Grimes because that was a funny segment. I'm not going to lie. No, <laughs> like, that was going to be my one. <laughs> but, Cameron Grimes in LA Night. Uh Balacross. Yeah. I mean, it has... I mean, like, if you're going to bring up Cameron Grimes, I've got to bring up Bala, Balacross, because, God... Damn, are those two bloody good. They're t- you know what? No, I'll say this. They're too good for WWE. There, I said it. There, there it is. There, there it is. is. They're there too is. good for WWE. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really liked... I mean, obviously, that, that match was great, because, again, it's just, it fits into the canon of two guys beating the hell out of each other. Which I love to see. Uh, which is very much my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely loved the segment between LA Knight and Cameron Grimes. I love the fact they're not afraid to shy away from the fact that they obviously do know each other. Yes. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, fun fact, I believe this was a thing in, in Impact. Mm-hmm. It was indeed. Like, just like they, they were in a feud at some point. They were. They were indeed. Um, so I think this is great, and it gives a you know, it, it fleshes out a bit more the whole million-dollar feud thing that they're going for. <laughs> Even though I wouldn't, in, I, in my head, I would be like, no, this isn't an NXT thing. I know the two of them are such great character people that it can work. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Although, that saying that, I feel like, wait, this kind of... I can't see this on a Raw or SmackDown, but for some reason, That's the it thing. does kind I, of but it really doesn't, fit. It doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel like it's an NXT thing. Yeah, but you. It also doesn't feel like if it was on main roster, it probably wouldn't happen. I guess maybe SmackDown, but it it wouldn't be as important as it is. Exactly. Um, coming over to SmackDown now, though. Um, my personal highlight, uh, highlight match was uh, the Usos versus the Street Profits. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, these two te- I mean obviously these two teams are great um, again another thing of I don't want people to get it twisted uh, when I say that Montez Ford could be a great single star I'm not saying that they should break up the Street Profits mm. <laughs> I'm saying that at the point where it makes sense to you can put Montez Ford on his own and he will be a single star absolutely yeah. Absolutely, but no, I mean, this was this was just great. It was oh, so so good, so good. Everything I wanted it, 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 from these two teams coming together or having a match together, and then some. A funny thing about the Street Profits, I don't know why it's been popping up in my recommended, but I've been getting compilations of Montez Ford going crazy when he does like the like the Hulk up <laughs> spot with the with the top rope, and he's he goes really beady eyed. 
I don't know why compilations of that are popping up, but I, I, but I keep watching them and I keep having a good old chuckle from it. So that's the new compilation now. Exactly, Montez Ford. I mean, if you're my other highlight from SmackDown as well, uh, as well, it was um, Bailey taking the piss out of Michael Cole. Oh yes, Michael I... Cole was off his game on SmackDown. God, he was not having a good day, and I just love Bailey. Just ripped him a new one for that. You stupid idiot! What was he? Did he no, right? He didn't say Bianca. He said, didn't he? No, say he like, said he said Belanca. Belanca. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> um, and then just quickly going over to AEW. What would Sam? What would your highlight of AEW have been this week? Oh man. Um. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really, I, I honestly want to say that that flipping promo thing Tony Khan did because it's so stupidly hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, I actually, I think uh, Orange Cassidy holding the AEW title was a visual I never yeah. knew I wanted, but I flipping want it now. <laughs> now, I, now that now that I've seen it, I'm like, you know what? I ain't even that mad. Eh? Yeah. I just don't know how that would work. I think, I honestly, guys, as much as I love Orange Cassidy, this might be a be careful what you wish for. Exactly. No, 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 no. Oh, no like, I don't think it would. I don't think it would work at all because mm. there's just so much stuff to have to deal with. And as as I've said before, uh, you know, Orange Cassidy is like the the postmodern wrestling gimmick. Yes. And that comes with a whole bunch of extra loaded stuff that you kind of can't convey in the wrestling medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, if if the inclusion of him in there um, allows for uh, a certain Geordie Honey Badger to win, I'll be very happy. <laughs> oh, I see. Another good visual as well was Hangman Page and Brian Cage's face-off with uh, Page's... Uh... Of page bleeding down his face I thought was a very good visual if yeah. you ask me. In all honesty I think as we all know and we could all see it coming from a mile off, this slow build up of page being world champion is... Um, no I'd say that's probably the best decision AEW have made since it began was not giving page the rocket straight off the bat and if they're going to do it slowly I can commend them for doing that Well obviously they've started i well i believe they're now back working with pretty much full crowds yeah so i think there are, i think there are something like 80 90 capacity i'm but willing to forego my thoughts of eddie kingston being aew champion if it were for adam page to be to, to dethrone kenny omega yeah well i assume oh i'm trying to think what's like the is it all out that's their like their big thing? I I would say double or nothing is. Oh, but I, I they've never really specified if they've had a if they if any of their pay per views are like the big one. But I would, yeah I know. But I guess I I mean you'd say double or nothing because that was the inaugural one. But then there is an argument to say that all out is the big one as well. Yeah. Okay. Either all out or double or nothing <laughs> next year, we'll probably see it. Yeah. I could imagine so. Or maybe at the end of the year, but I don't think so. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be a great moment. Oh, yeah. Be a fantastic moment, because I know a lot of people rag on him, but seriously, I've watched him live numerous times, 
and uh, he is he is such a damn good talent. He's not even thirty. Oh, that's go, the thing that see, really annoys see, me. Go see him in Ring of his Ring of Honor stuff. Yeah, it annoys me. He's not even. Amazing. He's my age, and he's about to become AEW champion. <laughs> That's the way of it. That is the way of it. Makes me so depressed. Anyway, moving on, Dan, please, before I get even more upset. Uh, So so moving on, uh, this story kind of comes in two parts. One (laughs) is that the the IWGP heavyweight title is now vacant. Yay! Uh, As we understand, uh, certain Billy Fishhawk, (laughs) brackets, W-O, um... Had, has had to vacate the title due to uh, a neck injury. Yeah, I know a lot uh, of people have speculated um, have the reasoning aggra- why, but... That, have aggra- that has aggravated, or been aggravated over the course of recent matches. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's flying around, including but not limited to um, the decision of B. Priestley to go to NXT UK. Which I... I mean, look, that's all for me. That's it is it is speculation, all of that, and I yeah, wouldn't, I wouldn't that, say that, that side is speculative, and even more speculative is the whole other side, which is apparently saying that he's annoyed that she's decided to go back to the UK, and so he decided he had to go back as well. I which it, it doesn't really make much sense to me. Exactly, uh, for me, it's that that wouldn't make much sense as to why you would go out of your way to vacate your world title. I could imagine that he'd be a bit smarter than that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd hope he'd be a bit smarter than that. Uh, but, uh... So now what we know is that the match to crown a new champion is going to be Okada fresh off recovery time, mm. uh, facing Sh- Shingo Takagi. <clears throat> This is uh, it. It's gonna be a fucking bomb burner. <laughs> this is it. This is the thing. Me, you, Reardon, Joseph Montecilio, <laughs> everyone on Twitter's been hoping and praying for. Could this be the moment they finally pull the trigger on Shingo Takagi? <laughs> Ghetto's gonna come along and it's like you fought, and then sure. Evil's gonna interfere and win again. <laughs> but it was me, Ghetto. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of Ghetto booking. God, he really has booked himself as head booker to be a JoJo villain, hasn't he? Pretty much. <laughs> God damn it. I mean, I mean, what is JoJo if not anime wrestling? Mm-hmm. <sighs> to be fair, like in a way, you're not wrong. Literally, the I I swear to God, I I would love to to stat this up, but the line, but but the the Venn diagram of wrestling fans and jojo fans has to be a circle surely oh gosh yeah of course it has to well i mean i i mean i can imagine that araki heavily drew on wrestling being a person that grew up in japan in like the 80s (laughs) yeah no that's very true (laughs) let's not i wouldn't be surprised by that at all let's not forget the new japan did have well new japan of course uh most of their roster have been immortalized in an anime when they revamped Tiger Mask. And yes, Kenny Omega is, a, is in anime form. So is Kazuchika Okada. And so, and so is Naito. Tanaha. They're all yeah, but anime Okada's characters all, Okada's also in Yakuza and Tekken. Yes. That is true. That so, is true. <laughs> because... um, but yeah, so like we're, we're looking at this and obviously it's an amazing match, amazing field. I know some people are saying, do they want 
I mean, because like we were saying, like, oh, well, should they just use this for time for a bit of like a thank you run? Because, mm. like, look, I'll be here and say I had have no issue if they decide, you know what, we're just going to put the belt on Ishii. You know what? I, I honestly, I mean, for me, if I was in Ghetto's position, I'd be out. All right, look, we are not in the same position we were four years ago. How about we just give the people that have been loyal to us a shot? So if they want, I would pull the trigger on Ishii, because why the hell not? I think that would get a lot more people internationally back on the product of watching it some more. Mm. Like, just something like, just like something like that. And I guess, like, I mean, I, I, with how New Japan's been in, like, the last, like, two years at this point, I, I feel like they need a feel-good story. Absolutely. Which, to be fair, Shingo is. Shingo is. Shingo absolutely is that as well. So, honestly, they, they've got, look, they've got a whole roster to pick from for people like that. Do it. Yeah. Don't, I mean, also, don't also on that, head. also on that same show, um, I'm not going to say sleeper match because it isn't at all. If you're looking <laughs> at it, um, El Desperado versus Yo for the um, IWGP Junior Heavyweight definitely worth a check. Oh yeah. Oh. But now we get to the other bit of it, which is this weird supposed, um. WWE New Japan partnership that's being floated around as reported by uh, Davey Meltman <laughs> um, so as ever take it with a pinch of salt um, as with all Meltzer stories <laughs> I mean because in my mind this in my mind this just screams of a company that are just trying to reinforce their deal <laughs> yeah this yeah. is what you do when you're there and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can sweeten this up a little bit and we'll just say we're talking to them. Yeah. Like, so here's the thing. I feel like Nick Khan, ever since he's been, he has, um, you know, been employed and is now president and I believe it's um, the chief revenue officer of WWE. Oh, I don't know if that board really... there. I was getting ridiculous. He... <laughs> yeah he's really been um making sure that his uh that his presence is felt there's a lot of decentralizing that. that's going on yeah absolutely um and yeah, so, as i said like making his presence felt and i feel this is a prime example of that oh yeah i've been talking to new japan what of it <laughs> i can do that now because guess what i've not been part of the wrestling world i've been in hollywood this whole time yeah so a rumor about this is the reason why nick khan has supposedly been in talks with them is because of daniel bryan i see so daniel bryan he's made it no secret that he would like to go and work for some other companies have some matches here there and everywhere and apparently that thinking of him being uh you know making that no secret uh, was some of the reasons why Nick Khan decided to have talks with New Japan. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, uh, Daniel Bryan works... He must have done New Japan, surely. He has done New Japan uh, in the past. I was going to say, sure. he definitely did, I know he did Noah. He has, he has been in a couple of New Japan shows in the past, for sure. But um, this is a very interesting one. Two yeah. very reputable... Well, yeah, I say very reputable, but no, two re uh, reputable companies that are 
quite integral to the history of pro wrestling. Not many people know that these two have had a working relationship in the past before. Yep, as I reminded people that I know. Um, so this isn't a first, um, for sure. And it makes me... It's, it's, it makes me wonder if in a, in a world where Nick Khan decides, oh, you know what, screw it. With everyone moaning that this won't happen, you know what, I'm going to pull the money out and I'm actually going to do this. I wonder if that relationship would be a very similar thing to how Anoki had his relationship with McMahon back in the 80s. I think the thing is, is that it... I feel like WWE and New Japan just operate on different levels fundamentally. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, the big thing that I foresee is I know, obviously, people would love the idea of, like, a super card. Mm. But, like, you, you know, I kind of... I. I I often frame it as the Shinsuke Nakamura problem, yes. which is that Shinsuke, Shinsuke Nakamura is a great wrestler that's well-versed in a style, mm-hmm. but the thing is that with WWE, I feel like they, you know, people who have been brought up by WWE that haven't been versed in the style mm. can't work Nakamura matches. Except for Sami Zayn, mm. who did a tremendous Yeah, job. like, Sami Zayn can do it perfectly. <laughs> but, like, Sami Zayn's worked with anyone and everyone. Absolutely. I don't get the... Um, one thing I don't get from this story that's kind of really upset me... Well, not really upset me, but made me go, oh, that's a bit of a downer, is a lot of people, again, they're drawing kind of, like, the, 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 the lines in the sand from this. There are people that absolutely hate WWE and are determined for this not to happen and are willing to burn everything down to the ground for it to happen. But on the other side, you've got the people that want it to happen just so they can piss off the people that hate WWE. And it's just case... It's just like two fault two uh, fault lines of people that absolutely hate everything about wrestling, yeah. <laughs> it seems. It's, no, the thing is about this is that it can only... One, it's only a rumour. That's all we know right now. Yeah. Two, it may not even happen. And I'm willing to bet that most likely it might not happen, but it does make for some good news stories. The third yeah. one is this only bolsters um, the appeal of New Japan and for WWE yeah. for both kind of territories or both countries. Because um, it's going to get people talking. It's going to get people curious about what's happening on each side of the company. And yeah, if only anything, it does. it just does well for both companies. <laughs> But people are talking about them in this light. Yeah. Um, I mean, if anything, I know everyone wants to see um, Tanahashi versus Cena. So if this is the case that they, this does happen, then we can finally get Ace versus Ace. That is true. That is true, actually. <laughs> so, it, it look, all intents and purposes, it's not a bad thing. Regardless of what happens, it's not a bad thing. It's done gangbusters for the for, for both companies. Hell, it's even done gangbusters for AEW. Because <laughs> look at it now. I mean, it shows that it, I mean, more people are going to realise, oh, wait, hang on. New Japan are already working with AEW. So what's all ha- this about? <laughs> Meanwhile, ROH and CMLL are just in the background just like, hey, yeah, we're here too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, no, I don't get the, the hate and the discourse surrounding this. Am I being mad for saying that? No, I you're give, not being mad. 
Uh, I, 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 I mean, you're, we're talking about wrestling discourse here, like... Oh, I, I, that is yeah. true. <laughs> all yeah, wrestling, out the we, window. Have, we have all gone insane. <laughs> so, all we can do is keep an eye on things. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, again, in, that, in a similar kind of vein, uh, we're now looking back on Hikaru Shida's one year as AEW Women's Champion. Um... So the surprising thing that I learned was that her most recent promo was her first in-ring promo in AEW, and she's been there for what, two years at this point. Yep. And she's been their champion for a year. <laughs> and A, that's just, like, crazy to me. Mm. I I just can't understand it. Same. On the other hand of it, though, um, I feel like this does speak to the thing that a lot of people were saying before about AEW's women's division. Mm-hmm. Which is that mm. they had a plan set in mind, and when they couldn't do that plan, they just had no idea. Yeah. Um. I mean, who do we... I mean, I was going to say, maybe this is probably part of the, the reasoning why, you know, the rumours about the, you know about some of the tensions arising in the in the in in backstage at AEW's come about because you know there's a certain Mr. Omega who's in charge of the creative of the women's division maybe I don't know I'm 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 only I'm only speculating there but uh it'll be interesting to 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 know or f- see what what might have been the case for that but yeah it's just so what's the word it's so exasperating, disconcerting. disconcerting about the yeah. women's division in AEW when it had all of that potential. Yeah. I mean, it does now. I mean, come on, let's be honest. That match with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa has really given them the kick up the ass that it needed. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm I, seeing it as a semi foregone conclusion that Britt Baker is going to take the title. Oh, gosh. After that match? Hell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think. It, I, think it, I mean, to be honest, title. it's been. A, to be honest, it's been a bit of an inevitability for ages, right? Well, because no, because yeah. the thing is, the original plan was going to be Chris Statlander. I see. But Chris she had Statlander to go was going to beat Shida, but she, she had, had to go home because her planet needed her. <laughs> yeah. Um, although Statlander's back now. Um, I mean, Thunder Rosa's. I feel like pretty much just with NWA by like a Fred. <laughs> Yeah, mm. but um, but yeah, but you know, it's it's just like I feel like they've realised that they have to get a a more solid foundation in mm. as they go forward. Absolutely, here's hoping anyway. And yeah, so like we said, there is there's rumours of tension between the EVPs of um AEW, um the. Pretty much the response around it has been Cody saying, no, everything's fine here. The reason I'm talking less to them is because, fun fact, I have a child on the way. <laughs> Do, you remember in 2018? No. Do you remember in 2018 when everyone said Bullet Club is fine? Now in 2021, oh, AEW is fine. <laughs> yeah. This is fine. <laughs> Which ah. I'm there and I'm like, yeah, to be fair, if the guy's going to have a kid soon, and don't forget, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Cody Rhodes is apparently planning to do. <laughs> including, including, but not limited to, supposedly running for Senator of Georgia. 
Hang on, he's trying to take a Noki spot now. Oof. You, you don't mess with that. That is a man. thing that I have heard people saying, and it terrifies me. Um, but, you know, it, it's just like, there's, they, they, they're throwing all this stuff around because it's like, oh, Cody hasn't been on BTE. And I'm like, yeah, because maybe he doesn't want to be. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I get you. I get you. You know, it, it's just it's just weird that they're throwing all this stuff around and they're throwing all this thing like, oh, they're not talking to each other. I'm like, yeah, maybe because they just don't need to right now or because they're all focusing on different projects or something. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's, there's, different, there's different reasons. That, um, moving over just quickly, WWE will just finish this off. Uh, sad to see Tom Phillips has been released. Um, was expecting him to kind of start up to become a lead commentator. I guess they've given that position to Vic Joseph now. Yeah. Um... Um, he will become kind of the the generational commentator, assuming he stays. Yeah, but given that, I mean, given the... Oh, God. The... We talk about the turnover rates of wrestlers. God, the turnover rates for announcers has been and commentators has been staggering, actually. Oh, I should say as well, it's uh, it's Jimmy Smith's. Is that the person who's taking over from... Who's uh, taking over, I think? From, from Raw? Yeah, from Adnan Verk, who's only been yeah, there for Adnan six... Uh, only was there for six weeks. Can't say, though, that I... Um, he was put in a very um, inenviable position. Um, straight, kind of like, right into the... You know, right into the fire, really. Um, especially on the flagship show of that company. And especially I think, I think... after everyone one did not want to see Samoa Joe leave. I think the yeah. thing is, is that it, I mean, for me, it ties down into what wrestling is as a business. Yeah. Which is, if you're, you know, if you want to go for the sports approach, that's fine, mm. but that needs to be consistent. Yeah. Yes. But like, with WWE, they just don't do that. Yeah, you can't really fra- you give it a sports framing. You can give it like a competitive framing, so you know someone like a Nigel McGuinness. Yeah, um, I feel like they're or... trying to really. If it's just me from my own observation, they're really trying to get some someone like Mauro Ranello again. But the only difference oh, of that is that Mauro Ranello had a wide, vast experience in pro wrestling before he got into boxing and MMA. Yeah. And, and he's like, just bloody, and he is a once in a generation talent as well, Mauro Ranello. So, oh yeah, I said it, it's just like you can take that sports approach, but it needs to be framed in pro wrestling. Because yeah. I said so, like Nigel McGuinness and Wade Barrett are great because they, you know, they talk about holds and moves, you know, in technical terms. Yeah, and that's consistent for them. That's how they work, and it works great. Yes. But you can't bring in a guy, you know, who was like an announcer for, a, you know, just like another sport and expect him to get it. Mm. Because pro wrestling as a, as a sphere of entertainment is just so distinct from anything else. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then just finally, WWE has now got a tour schedule in place. 
uh, to start touring again, and supposedly SummerSlam is taking place in Texas. Because everything's bigger in Texas, including SummerSlam. Because apparently yep, they're going to do it in a stadium. Yep, with fans. Mm. It'll be interesting to see if it happens or not. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, I mean, hell, was it? I'm pretty sure the Tokyo Olympics aren't happening now. Oh, wait, I swear that the Tokyo Olympics was happening, kind of, maybe. Uh, Japan's still in a state of uh, notice, I think. Oh, dear. Wow. Yeah. Oh, or at least I, I think it is. I, I, I remember seeing a thing earlier today that was like, will the Olympics be happening? And basically the consensus was not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like two months before it's meant to be happening. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. They're going to be crashing into that once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with that, though, we are done with the news. Excellente. Alrighty then, Reardon, do you have anything for the recommendation corner this week? Recommendation corner? Oh, I did have something. Uh, you know what, actually? I do think I'm going to recommend for everyone. The death of WCW. Ah, nice, excellent. I was going to run over as well as uh, with my recommendation corners, the recommendations I had. One of them being the death of WCW, as ah. well as what I said um, as well last week, Nitro by Guy Evans, and to uh, wrestling bios for his video series on the Monday Night Wars, and of course to our dear friends Monday Night Chores who are chronicling the the Monday Night Wars episode by episode. And asking who did it better. I mean, it be- better them than us, basically. It's a, it's yeah. a brilliant job that they're say, doing. I will say as well, uh, a little cheeky recommendation corner from me. You can go and listen to us over on the Apron Bump podcast talking about Ring of Honor Glory by Honor 2002, which is out now. Yes, hey. you, get to hear, you get to listen to us. Me lose my mind over Limp Biscuit and uh, Michael Shane being related to Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Hey, by the way, did you know Michael Shane is related to Shawn Michaels by any chance? I did not, and that is... I need a moment. (laughs) Wow. Unbelievable. All righty, then. With that, it is time to uh, get on to our next episode and part two. Dub C-Dub. Part two of WCW. 1996 to 2001. This means war. So where did we leave off last? Yes, we left off with the inaugural episode of Monday Nitro and the reveal of Lex Luger returning to the company after being receiving a lowball offer by Eric Bischoff because Bischoff really did not want Luger back. It's <laughs> a sad reality, I don't know. isn't there's, it? There's, there's, some, there's something about them being there and being like, the star of our new show is Lex Luger. <laughs> I don't know why it's making me laugh. What? What do you think? Nice terrifically long hair massive white shirt and black suit pants with his hands on his hips just looking at Hogan menacingly <laughs> to, be fair, I think, I think, to be fair I do think that my entire perception of Lex Luger has been eternally shifted by that one video <laughs> what Luger selling no L- Luger versus the NWA cyberspace t-shirt ah yes I don't know <laughs> Can you afford to pay me to wrestle Ron? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that again because I've already done yeah. it in a previous episode. Okay. I feel like that's just reframed my entire acknowledgement of Lex Luger. It really has. Oh, also, did you ever see the promo of him saying, uh, proclaiming that he was in Glasgow, England? Lex Luger, ladies <laughs> Lex and gentlemen. Luger. Anyway. 
Let us head on to the first chapter, the first skirmish of the Monday Night War. So the lines had been drawn and war officially started with WCW and WWF. Nitro would slowly gain the lead over the course of the year 1996. Now Bischoff was able to do this with a few factors. One of the biggest being that Nitro was live every single Monday night over the pre-taped nature of Raw, who would do one live show, and then when that live show would end broadcast, they would tape another episode of Raw. So this happened, this, with the appearance of Luger at the debut of Nitro, sparked a ton of excitement with wrestling fans as to who could show up to Nitro after appearing on Raw. I guess the most famous example of that would have been Rick Rude when he was when he was at a pre-tape of Raw is War in the middle of the ring as the bodyguard for D-Generation X. And then on TNT, he showed up to a live Nitro taping... <laughs> proclaiming that he had left the WWF and was now WCW <laughs> and NWO proud. Only during this time could you have a moment like that. Yeah. <laughs> Another tactic that sprung from the nature of WWF taping these shows, uh, as WCW was giving away results from Monday Night Raw on air, so this was a tactic yeah. Bischoff loved to use. Whenever Raw was having a pre-taped show on USA Network, uh, Bischoff, at the announcer's desk, just before a match, or even at the beginning of Nitro, just gave away the results for Monday Night Raw. <laughs> so petty. It, but it's so like, petty. It's so of the time. It yeah. really is. It is impressive how petty that move is. <laughs> Like, I'm actually kind of surprised that that's, like... I mean, it is a real, like, ain't no rule that says you can't do it. Mm. But it feels like there, there should be some... And you know what's kind of really funny? Is that this is before, like, spoiler culture yeah. was an actual thing. Exactly. Can you imagine, like, the the, 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 the death threats a company would get if they actively spoiled something. Could you imagine if, say, I don't know, um, just for an example, Arrow decided right in the middle of one of its episodes to spoil the the, the finale of Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> it's that I think, sort of I think, thing. It's like, I think for me, hearing about them doing that is it does lend to my thing of WCW, which is that at points, they they were never focused on their own show. No, oh, it was God, always yeah. in it was always in service of getting one over on Monday Night Raw. Much to yes. its detriment, I think. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll, oh oh, we will be getting to that. Holy crap! <laughs> but of course, one of the most famous jabs um, WCW uh, had WWE was in December of 1995 when WWF women's champion Alundra Blay showed up to Monday Nitro live with the t- women's title and threw it in the bin in live television proclaiming what and that sad move and that is what I think of the WWF women's championship now here's a f- here is kind of um, some uh, stories from the back Alundra Blaze didn't want to do it she was kind me. of coaxed by Eric Bischoff to go with it because apparently, you yeah. know, we'll give you a big push after that and we'll yeah, make sure, that you know... the kind of thing that someone, uh, 
a wrestling booker would say. Exactly, and we'll give you like a chance at our, you know, our version of the championship. Turns out she ends up winning the cruiserweight championship and then becomes, I believe, a valet for Randy Savage. <sighs> wow, it's almost like nothing ever changed. It's a lunge blaze, though. It's Medusa, and that's the Just thing to that be annoys fair, me. I'm thinking about this, right? Was it '95 when they did? Do you remember that time when WWE was like, hmm, we shall try revitalizing our women's division, so we'll bring in some female Japanese wrestlers. Was that 93 or 95? It would have been 93. Okay, that was 93. Because I, I was just thinking, like, was this when she just come off, like, the best of 18's home and away series with Born Nakano? Yes. And believe it or not, the reasoning as to how this happened, as to how Alundra Blaze managed to show up to WCW, was because the rumor is... Uh, Vince forgot she was contracted with them. Now, you see, part of that sounds stupid, right? Yes. But we have stories from, like, just this year of the same thing. Yep. (laughs) Vince even forgot that she was women's champion. That's how she was able to show up with the title. Uh, It's it's just like, I I mean, obviously part of that is get an understanding of the state of women's wrestling at that Mm. period (laughs) but also right how can you just forget that someone's a champion yeah Yeah. exactly I I mean I know you've look you're a president of a multi at that time multi-million dollar company I know you've got a whole bunch of flipping people and employees you need to deal with but god Damn, she's the one of the front-facing people of your product, dude. How could you forget? Yeah, but, but that? like in in comparison to most other billionaires, Vince still just sits at Gorilla. He does, yeah. So like, how? <laughs> at that time, he was sat at the commentary desk. <laughs> how could he forget? This man, I swear. <laughs> All right, before we move on into the timeline, so I'm going to uh, reserve a little bit of time here to talk about WCW pay-per-views and how I believe they were a different breed above WWE's. I think, call me controversial for this one, I think in terms of visuals, the set designs, hell, I will even go over the names of their pay-per-views... They blew WWE's out of the water at the time. I always preferred the set design of WCW pay-per-views. I mean, mm. I'm not. I mean, we've already brought up Halloween Havoc, but I would yeah, still that the giant I, spooky vampire is like amazing. I, the pumpkin as well with the gravestones. It's just a, mwah, mwah. I think a lot of that is, however. I, I can't remember the exact thing, but due to just uh, the serious budget put into those sets. Oh, yeah. Like, like even the Nitro a, set was ridiculously expensive at that time. Yeah, which I believe became a problem in terms of actually having to set it up yep. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Like, the names they have for these pay-per-views, um, Full Brawl, Slamboree, uh, Flippin' Super Brawl, Uncensored, World War Three. It's just like, oh, the reason why I loved playing WCW games so much was because the set designs were stupid crazy. 
and just appealed to the goopy goblin gamer brain of mine. Yeah, the goblin brain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like big, ridiculous visuals. And is that a giant pumpkin for Halloween? That is amazing. I want it. You've wanted it for so long, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But no, I will give credit where credit's due. With that sweet Ted Turner money, they made it work for their sets and their pay-per-views. Oh, absolutely. Okay, no, so let's get back on course. Next chapter, The Outsiders Invade WCW. Memorial Day, 1996. During a seemingly innocuous match on Monday Nitro, someone from the crowd jumps the guardrail and enters the ring, but... It is someone we all know. He doesn't name himself, he doesn't proclaim who he is, but do he does all of the mannerisms of his beloved character. He proclaims, you want a war? You people know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. He said that he and two of his associates were going to take over. Of course, the man proclaiming this was none other than Scott Hall. Now, the reason why he never named himself and why he was doing all of those characteristics of his very famous character, we'll get into that. It's a very interesting story, a very interesting legal battle as well, of uh, getting into that. So the next week, he shows up again on Nitro, provoking Sting, who confronted Hall by throwing his trademark toothpick at him and promising a little, no, big surprise for next week's Nitro. Next week's Nitro rolls around from Wheeling, West Virginia. Sees Hall interrupt Eric Bischoff at the announcer's, sorry, commentary desk and reveals his surprise being his friend and former WWF champion, Kevin Nash. A massive surprise to everyone because Nash at that time was the face of WWF. You know, he was the person that uh, Vince was pushing for the new generation and it looked like... He wasn't going to leave. He was going to be kind of like the uh, the next step from Hogan at that point. So to see Nash back in WCW was a massive surprise Dude, for everyone Evan, involved. Evan Nash's stories about like his contracts and stuff are so great to listen to. Honest to goodness, I'll say it again. Kevin Nash, the smartest man in professional wrestling. Oh, when it comes to business, he is a level above so many people. <laughs> he really but of course a massive surprise for Nash uh, being back in WCW as he cuts his famous promo referring to WCW slogan where the big boys play look at the adjective play <laughs> I still I'm sorry I love the promo but damn I can't help but remember that <laughs> Kevin you do realise that play is a noun right <laughs> But no, in, this, wait, in that way, in that phrase, though, doesn't it count as a verb? Oh, no, yeah, it is a verb, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'm a linguistics nerd. The English language is dog shit. Oh, it <laughs> is. It you is. Can quote me on that. <laughs> quote me on that. I've been saying it for years. <laughs> All right, we'll at real Kevin Nash and tell him that it was. No, no, no. We'll have us blocked in an instant. If... <laughs> um, so, yeah. He says, we didn't come here to play. The measuring stick just changed here and you're looking at it. Now, from this point, Oin Hall and Nash, collectively known as the Outsiders, ran amok in WCW, showing up to Nitro tapings unannounced, brawling backstage with talent, and always hinting at the arrival of a third man to this group. Now, the reason why they were never named, or why they weren't 
at this time called Hall and Nash was because Bischoff wanted them to come in with the assumption and the look as if they were still contracted to WWF and were Razor Ramon and Diesel invading WCW. Of course, WWF weren't going to take this lightly. <laughs> so I see, I see, I see a very, very big, uh, big flashing sign, and it says "legal issues." <laughs> yeah, like, like that is madness. Yeah, I mean, especially when Hall was doing all of the mannerisms and the accent of Razor Ramon. Like, he wasn't shying away. Like, he was being Razor Ramon in WCW. That's... That's... What a... What a manoeuvre. It really... <laughs> this, this, really this, this is just some... This is just some Lucha Libre stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm just kind of like... I'm... I'm honestly astounded that they had the balls to do that. That is I a legal battle. You, I do not know what you mean. Arachnoman is in no way related to <laughs> Marvel's IP. This is definitely not Razor Ramon. <laughs> but this is Eric Bischoff. He was taking any opportunity he could to... to one-up Vince at this point. Um, so the rumour was that they had uh, names ready and they had uh, supposedly trademarked two names for Hall and Nash. Uh, the bad guy for Scott Hall and Axel for Kevin Nash, a play on Diesel, of course. But then it, it just transpired that they never really went for it and then they just decided to just go with their real names, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. But yet the balls on Bischoff to do this was insane and it was a legal battle that went on for years uh with both wcw's uh, lawyers and with uh, wwf's lawyers but they did settle it but there was a very interesting condition to how they settled it it had to be solved by a ladder match no <laughs> even crazier and a great hit of foresight at wwf triangle ladder match <laughs> Steel cage, hell in a cell. I Come on, am I close? <laughs> I wish it was, but no. Uh, WWF asked... Ted Turner on a pole match. Ted Turner on a pole match. <laughs> no, I really wish it were that. No. Uh, WWF. Should WCW ever go into liquidation, WWF had first pickings at, the, at, their, um, at their IP and their library. Great, oh, great no, foresight no. at that, wasn't it, for WWE? This will, this will be important later. This will be that, important later. I, that is fully, like, whoever, I mean, I, I assume whoever set that condition is probably Vince. Yeah. And I'll tell um, you this much, I uh, bet you Bischoff was in, agreed to that straight away, not thinking, that's never going to happen. Yeah. I, like, I can't, like, the thing is, though, right, I hear that decision, and I'm like, you know what, that's, that's big brain. <laughs> really that's fully big brain play that is so big brain <laughs> that is like seven steps ahead <laughs> he may be out of touch but god damn he's a sneaky bastard when it comes to legal issues <laughs> definitely is okay so this leads up to well the chapter we were all gonna get to in this second part the NWO Oh, my. Bash at the Beach, 1996. 
Hall and Nash, with their mystery third man, were set to take on Lex Luger, Randy Savage, and Sting to fight for the honour of WCW. From the onset, Hall and Nash came out without a third man, telling everyone that he was in the building, but eh, he wasn't needed just yet. Get into the match. Right through in the middle of the match, Sting hits his signature Stinger Splash. Uh, unknowingly crushing Lex Luger, who was behind Kevin Nash at the time in the corner. This sends Luger out of the match. He's, he's stretched out of the match, selling like only Lex Luger knows how to sell. <laughs> if anyone knows Luger's selling, yeah. watch compilation videos on YouTube. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so with that happening, this has just turned into a traditional tag team match with Hall and Nash taking on Savage and Sting. Outsiders, of course, from this point on, dominated the match until Hulk Hogan appeared, walking down the entrance ramp with a concerned look on his face, looking like, oh, look, Hogan's making the save for Savage and Sting. He enters the ring, squares up to Hall and Nash, coming to the aid of his old friend Randy Savage. Psych! He drops the leg onto Savage and was revealed as the third man of the group. Holy sh- The first heel turn for Hulk Hogan since he was in his Hulkamania phase. Madness. Madness. He gets on the mic after the match, proclaims himself, along with Hall and Nash, as a new world order of professional wrestling. And of course, this is a moment that lives in the hearts and souls of wrestling fans all, the, uh, all over the world, as the man who brought a golden age of wrestling to America and was always the good guy was now being pelted with plastic cups of beer and anything the fans could get their hands on. And if I remember correctly, this might have been the promo as well. It might have been the next week's Nitro. It might be this one where a fan decided to jump the guardrail and rush, bum rush the ring to try and attack Hogan for this. Yeah, Love like the energy. The the fans literally throwing things at Hogan. They're so angry. So yeah, the visual of Hall Nash and Hogan in that ring is god damn is that a sight to behold and that is such an iconic image of just it's realizing just, it's that... just like understanding the place that it's it exists in because like you said it was the first time hogan had turned heel mm. for like you know in the time where he was only ever seen as the face yeah but then you know the three of them there with hogan in like the rival company yep crazy crazy but it but it worked because goodness yeah i mean this became the turning point for wcw's fortunes um so as 90 uh, so as 96 uh, came to an end it saw wcw at the top of the ratings and wrestling landscape leaving vince mcmahon and the new generation of the wwf in the dust now wcw at this point was averaging a four to five point rating during their 83 week run as the premier wrestling product in America, which is nothing to scoff about at that time. That's massive numbers at that time in 96 and trouncing WWF's ratings at the time. I believe um, WWF at that time were averaging about two to three at that time in that little 83 week, well, not say little, but that 83 week um, span of time. 
yeah, they were only averaging two to three uh, in comparison to four to five points uh, for WCW. So no, it was clear that um, that Bischoff <laughs> was absolutely on top and de- beating their holy heck out of Vince's product. <laughs> so we get on to our next chapter. Actually, before I actually do get on to my next chapter, I want to talk a little bit about the NWO and your views on the NWO. And I guess it's kind of pop culture status because I feel like in terms of the logo and the T-shirts, I feel like the NWO kind of supersedes pro wrestling. And it has, but here's the thing. I believe one of the Kardashians was seen wearing an NWO shirt. So I guess it is in pop culture nowadays. Um, um, Are you ready to hear my opinion, which will probably piss off people, even though to my mind, I would argue it's true. Go on. The NWO in terms of wrestling pop culture wise was basically like the same thing that happened with Bullet Club before Bullet Club happened. Yeah. Yeah. The shirts were yeah. everywhere. The logo was everywhere. Everyone was copying the logo and doing their own variations. <laughs> Blue no, everyone, everyone, everyone wanted a bit of the NWO. Yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely correct. I, I like that is if you if you think that's an if you think that's a hot take, just come on, guys. Come on now. So yeah, I mean. It was hot, like super hot with those three there. And there is no doubt in my mind that that, that it, God, it, it staked its place as part of uh, wrestling, pop, wrestling and pop culture. But with everything that Bischoff usually does, he always has to make too much of a good thing. And I feel with NWO, holy hell was it too much of a good thing. <laughs> Because, ladies and gentlemen, as a little challenge to myself, I will now be listing all 62 members of the NWO. This will be the official source for anyone that wants all 62 members of the NWO and all the various splinter groups that developed. Okay, so in no particular order. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan... Ted DiBiase, The Giant, NWO Sting. There's a reason why I have to say NWO Sting. Six, Vincent, Miss Miss Elizabeth, Nick Patrick, Eric Bischoff, Buff Bagwell, Mike Wall Street, Bubba Rogers, Scott Norton, Randy Savage, Dennis Rodman, Conan, Kurt Hennig, Rick Rude, Louis Spicoli, Dusty Rhodes, Brian Adams, Scott Steiner, The Disciple, a.k.a. Brutus Beefcake, a.k.a. The Booty Man, a.k.a. The Disciple, a.k.a. every single gimmick that he was given. Yep. Lex Luger, Sting, Stevie Ray, Horace Hogan, Disco Inferno, David Flair, Tori Wilson, Bret Hart, Jeff Jarrett, Tylene Buck, April Hunter, Pamela Pullshock, Ron and Don Harris. <laughs> and I'm heading over to Japan. <laughs> Masahiro Chono, Hiro Saito, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, <laughs> Tatsuyoshi Goto, 
Michiyoshi Ohara, Big Titan, Akira, and Satoshi Kojima. Breadman. Breadman indeed, and kill me, because that was tough. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, back way up, Tori Wilson? Tori yeah, Story Wilson. Wilson as a valet was part of the NWO. Oh, and Medeja as well. I forgot Scott yeah. uh, Scott Steiner's uh, valet as well. I forgot that. Holy so, shit. Yeah, remember when we said there's too much of a good thing? And I think my favourite thing out of this is, like, as I was listening to them, despite the fact that Dennis Rodman's in that list, the one that felt out of place was Buff Bagwell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, come on, let's not forget Vincent as well. I mean, yes. Uh, David Flair. Virgil. Uh, the reason why they called him Vincent is because, is because you know, they don't forget that Virgil was a play on Dusty Rhodes, so go one better and take the piss out of Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> just like... Nick just... Patrick as well is one that always gets me. <laughs> the referee, like... Nick Patrick. There's just so, like I said, it is just too much of anything happening at one time. I mean, I will say one good thing that kind of is a result. It's not like properly a result of um, the NWO because he was doing it slightly before, but it did help uh, kind of. Again, I'm being careful with how I say this to avoid pissing people off. (laughs) In a tiny way, it helped refine... Masahiro Chono's Yakuza gimmick. Oh, absolutely. Come on, it gave birth to one of the greatest theme songs of all time. That theme song is utterly fantastic. Like I will but I I will say as well that Masahiro Chono is amazing. I love him and the Yakuza gimmick is like perfect. Yes. Okay. So we took speaking on my thoughts on the NWO. The NWO were a group that became a cancer on the WCW. <laughs> you, yeah. I, I, to, be, to be quite honest. I, 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 I'd agree it was with a, you it was, it was a thing that got big and then it got too big they couldn't control it anymore. Exactly. Basically. I mean, because like, like there's part of what we're saying now and as we get later on into it, it's basically WCW is just NWO at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's right. Let's go. You know, over the things. Not only the bloated amount of members that they had, but remember they had their own pay per view called Sold Out. There was a short amount of time that when we get to Thunder Nitro was called NWO Monday Nitro. Uh, because the because Bischoff's grand plan was to have the NWO and WCW kind of be its kind of two separate brands. Um, hence why, you know, for the longer time, a lot of the branding for WCW was NWO WCW. Oh, yeah, because it was WCW NWO Revenge. Yes. Was which, the game. Which is one of the greatest N64 games of it all time. It is one of the greatest N64 games, one of the best wrestling games of all time. <laughs> which, oh no, deservedly had Raven on the cover, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but it's it's just... I feel like... I mean, nothing it's... to take away from Bischoff. He's a, he, you know, he's he, 
Credit to where credit's due for Bischoff. At that time, he was dealing with a lot of um, a lot of talent, a lot of um, big names and stuff, and he was trying to juggle everything here, there, and everywhere for WCW. So fair play to the guy. But no, I, I give him, I give him, I give him credit because like the the idea and making it work and like getting the execution right is a massive task. Mm. But but like there there comes a point where you do need to just like cut stuff off. Exactly, and I felt like he milked it way too personally, personally, for me, I feel like it just got too complicated. Absolutely, because In... remember, the visual of um, NWO, the only, some of the most famous visuals I know of NWO are Eric Bischoff in the ring, not only with Hogan, Hall, and Nash, but 17 different people behind them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it was so silly. So silly. <laughs> but I guess it worked. I think it got silly, honestly, when Bischoff was revealed as the mastermind for the NWO. But that's yeah. just me. That's just me. I mean, again, it's just like what I've said is that wrestling as a form of entertainment, like, it has limitations. <laughs> it, it really does. <laughs> But and hey, like there gets there gets a point where things just get too complicated for what you can explain in the span of a show. You know, a question I've I just came to has just come to my mind. With Dennis Rodman being a member, does that make the Chicago Bulls all members of the NWO as well? Uh you know, I did have that thought and I'm going to say no because Dennis Rodman is a creature unto himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my ruling on this is that it is explicitly stated to only be Dennis Rodman, and so my belief is that the Chicago Bulls are NWO affiliated. Yes, not I having the status. Yeah, no, no, I accept that. That that's that's perfect. Because especially considering like, especially considering like, I think that the Chicago Bulls didn't even know that he was doing it. Yeah. So uh, they didn't know that he was going to WCW Nitro tapings. <laughs> In the middle of the playoffs. <laughs> so I guess with the red and black, would that make them more perfect for the wolf pack? They would, but also, yeah. again, that involves explaining the concept of the NWO wolf pack, and I don't know if we have enough time or mental energy for that. But, it did have the, but the wolf pack did have the best... I'm saying this now, but the wolf pack did have the best theme. Oh, that theme goes hard. It goes so, so hard. Anyway, next chapter. Sting leaves WCW. The end of 1996 saw Sting's loyalty to WCW come into question after the reveal of an NWO imposter Sting joining their group as the fourth man. Sting, after coming to the aid of Team WCW in the War Games match at Full Brawl, says to Luger, who was questioning his loyalty, is that good enough for you? And immediately leaves the match. Next Monday on Nitro, he says that his loyalty has been called into question. Well, that's, well, fine then. I quit. And leaves WCW as a whole. The sting we knew, the surface sting that we knew, left that night at Monday Nitro. Thank you, Sting. Very cool. <laughs> With that, the Crow finally vanquishing the NWO, and we get to Starcade 1997. Now, with the NWO running wild all over WCW, as we've discussed, and no one, not even a reformed four horsemen, stopping them, that's when Sting started to show up in a black duster coat and black and white makeup. 
kind of more hey, over tell, time. Could, could you tell that the crow was going to be popular at the time? <laughs> you know, it's kind of amazing how much they lucked out with the crow actually being like remaining like a cult classic that everyone at least knows like knows the look of the crow. Absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, that would have been unbelievably dangerous. I just find it hilarious that, like, they just happened to pick on the crow, of all things, <laughs> and that, like, they got, they had it for enough time that there was a period of time where people thought that the crow copied Sting. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's funny. true. So, as I said, his makeup morphed over time, because when he originally came out, in the black and white makeup and the long duster coat. It was the very it's the very same style of makeup that he'd been using before. Kind of like the half makeup with his nose and mouth still kind of unpainted with the kind of two black lines down his eyes. So still kind of a very similar thing going on. But it was only a couple of months later that he started to adopt the more the look that we know. So it was a very obvious crow influence, not the kind of wavy lines that we saw Sting finally adopt, but the two lines over his eyes and over his uh, yeah. mouth. And then eventually, slowly and surely, we got to the very the iconic look of Crow Sting, which was the wavy lines over with the with the wavy black lines over the white makeup, the big the long hair, the black duster, and the black and white scorpion uh, singlet that he would wear. Sting's look, of course, as we said, was heavily inspired by Eric Draven from The Crow. It's, uh, you know, something that is blooming obvious. Something, though, that was pitched to him by Scott Hall, funnily enough. Scott Hall, the big fan of The Crow. Who knew? Well, if you you said it was Kevin Nash, I would have believed you, but Scott Hall seems weird to me. Scott Hall, I'm not surprised because the man is famous for being a lover of films why do you think he he was heavily influenced by tony montana for razor ramon i mean that is fair but also that was an entire cultural zeitgeist that, oh, yeah yeah you know what i mean montana. yeah like i feel like that's different the crow is incredibly specific i know but even for, scott even for the hall 90s. Was a massive scott hall was a massive fan of the crow and Sting was just umming and ahhing about what to do. What kind of character should I be? And Scott Hall just said, oh, just watch this film. I think you might find some inspiration from it. Sure enough. <laughs> there you go. So at this time, of course, Sting never spoke and was always quietly watching in the rafters, watching NWO every single step of the way. His ever-present watching of the group, of course, led to the biggest pay-per-view ever, Starcade 97. Now, that promo of him with the vulture right at the top of the rafters, uh, when you hear the voiceover of him proclaiming that he will be taking on Hogan at Starcade, that is such a cool image. And then when the whole arena goes black and then when the lights come back on, the vulture's right on the ring post. And it's just, oh, such Look, a cool visual. Right. We all know that evil villains are improved by having a bird at their side exactly absolutely okay so the match itself at starcade 97 is a mixed bag to say the very least now i don't have you chaps seen this match uh just quickly for me when did what month did starcade 97 take place november 
So this is literally weeks after the Montreal screw job. Uh, um, this would have been, I think, about four to five weeks after the screw job. And Bret Hart here as is an a special guest enforcer uh, for this match. Fun fact: When this match took place, I was approximately eight months old. Um, Aww. Um, no, I have seen this match, uh, having watched it back, uh, obviously recently in preparation for this, because I knew we were going to be talking about it. <laughs> um, and I think it's just one of those things where it's a match that kind of has its own steam of prestige. Yes. Like, obviously, you're watching it because you're like, you have Sting, who is like the WCW stalwart versus Hogan, who's like the big mega star that's also still intangibly linked with WWF. Yeah. <sighs> this match is... I don't know. It's it's not bad. You could tell Sting was quite rusty in the ring because, of course, he'd been out yep. of action for a year at this point. You can... <sighs> you can immediately tell Hogan was politicking. With some of the decisions, oh, some of the things oh, that were happening Hogan. in this match. It's Hogan in WCW. Because, of course, everyone knows the original ending for this was that Nick Patrick was supposed to fast count um, the original pinfall from Hogan. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'm guessing Hogan was in Patrick's ear and decided to, you know, I'll just do a normal pin. To which Bret Hart tells him that there's not going to be another screw job, restart the match. Making Bret Hart look like a bit of an idiot in the process. Thank yeah. you, Hogan. <laughs> and then, of course, Bret Hart would proceed to, I think, was it beat the hell out of Nick Patrick at that point. And then yeah. Sting, of course, uh, wins the match with a free count and Hogan immediately getting up at 3.1. Yeah. As he is to do. And, of course, uh, Sting vanquishes the NWO and uh, Sting is now, once again, world champion uh, with the whole WCW roster out there to celebrate with him. Now, I'll say this. This could have been so much more were it not for those factors. Oh, God. It could oh, have been a whole, whole lot more. Um, I mean, I won't get into some of the main factors. Hulk <coughs> Hogan. <coughs> um, well, look, right, because we can be there. And we, it's like one of my favorite things in the world was there was like an interview with Hulk Hogan. It was around like 2010 mm. to like 2013, I want to say. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, you know, brother wrestlers these days don't like to do the job and i'm like that's coming from you that's yeah, yeah that's coming from you, you. can say absolutely like, nothing. people not doing the job meanwhile you mate you've had a history of big platforms and you do it and you not wanting to do the job wrestlemania 6 this event freaking on like the flipping oh just the losing to andre at saturday night's main event you have a history of this and you have the gall to say that it's just like this is one of the many times that uh hulk hogan having creative influence is perhaps not the best idea for your company as would be as would be learned in tna <laughs> We, yeah, actually, you know what we're gonna get to that actually <laughs> but at, oh yeah i know end. but yeah so yeah when looking back at this i can't help but get the feeling that this starcade with everything that had gone on with it the story leading up to this i'll hell even up to sting's entrance which i will say is his most iconic entrance because god damn was that perfect 
His entrance oh, yeah. in Starcade 97 is incredible. Oh, yeah. This could have been the final nail in the coffin for WWF. And like, boom, that's the end of the Monday Night War. But in actuality, it did the exact opposite. If it, it, like it alienate, I I would imagine it, it alienated alienated I should say its audience and viewers for what happened the, the 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 shenanigans that happened in that match the the way it ended the way it sh- the way it should have been as opposed to what we got it did the exact opposite of what I guess Ted Turner wanted it to do and that is to end the Monday Night Wars right there and then because yeah, the problem is obviously like with wrestling it's like an interactive entertainment form yes i.e the fans are participant and party to what's happening as much as the wrestlers in a way Mm. and so like you know they could have spent ages workshopping this and being like you know what this is gonna go down great and people might absolutely hate it (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's just a it's so again it's that same theme we kind of alluded to in the first part it's just when they hit, they hit so well. But when they fail, when it goes bad, it goes, goes bad. so bad. Yeah, it's it's rather impressive. <laughs> it really is. It really is. So that leads us to 1998. It looked as though WCW was in a prime position to finally put you know the end to the Monday Night Wars. I mean, they possessed the biggest stars in wrestling. You got Hogan, Savage, Sting, Ric Flair. You had now had Bret Hart. You had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. And in addition to that, you had one of the absolute greatest mid cards that you could ever want in a Dude, wrestling company. Uh, WCW yeah, Cruiserweight God. Division. Good Lord. What a God. stacked mid cards. Give credit where credit's due again to Eric Bischoff. He knew to look in Mexico and Japan for some of the best stars. It's just a shame that he decided that they weren't ever going to be in the main event picture, which, you know, uh, which angers me. Well, well. again, I always hold that as a reflection of the the way Americans saw wrestling at the time. Exactly. No, I agree on that one as well. It's a a reflection of the time. But I will say, having having a mid-card and being like, all right, so we've got Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, and Dean Malenko. Come on! <laughs> like, on, on top of that, you know, guys like Jericho, you had guys like yeah. Raven, and it's just like... Ha, like, I think Jericho was gone on record to saying that um, at this time, WWF's main events were blowing WCWs out of the water, no questions. But it was where the mid card was saving WCW at this point, and oh, I would tend to God, agree yeah. with him on that one. Oh no, mm. I agree with him completely. By by this point, just the level of talent you had here um, was insane. So with all this, with all of these factors, Ted Turner wanted to capitalize on this momentum by launching a new. Thursday night show on TBS, WCW Thunder. And he would start immediately in January 98. Now, it's been on record, and Bischoff has said he really did not want to make another show. <laughs> I wonder why. Because, again, too many cooks, another live show, and that means another two to three hours worth of content that he needs to write out each and every week. 
and of course for the talent to go in and out and having to work another day on top of the house show runs oh yeah he really didn't want it to happen but Turner wanted more content he wanted more wrestling he saw the popularity that was happening on his network so you don't ask say no to billionaire Ted do you yeah ask and ye shall receive you think right uh here, here's my here's my big brain um like head cannon right do you think WCW was purely just started so that Ted Turner would be able to watch more wrestling ostensibly kind of for free? Yes. Honestly, yes. <laughs> because, like, honestly, yeah, because remember, like, there is, like, with Ted Turner, there is precedent for that. Like, Boomerang, and Boomerang was very specifically, like, set up because Ted Turner was like, yo... I love like the Looney Tunes and Scooby Doo and all all of those cartoons that I loved that that I loved and they're just not on anymore. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a channel specific specifically so it's always on forever. Yes, <laughs> like that's the that's the bizarre thing about Ted Turner is that all of like his like when you he's look like at him, a weird well, form of Willy Wonka. <laughs> Yeah, he really, he really has that energy. The more I'm just thinking, the more I'm just thinking about this, when he said, like, Ted Turner wanted to make WCW Thunder, I'm just like, did Ted Turner just really want to watch wrestling all the time? And so he was like, <laughs> I'll establish my own company, get a weekly live show, and then book a, a second live weekly show. Mm. Real talk, that is precisely what he did. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ted Turner. I mean, <laughs> very I mean, cool. Yeah, let's. I mean, let's not take it. Uh, let's take it to account as well. With that, is that Ted Turner was a ginormous wrestling fan. Yeah, and he. I've never known of like a uh, like a president of a television company or a president who was so in there with wrestling because he he would occasionally show up on WCW television. Like, I the, the very famous image of Hogan and Savage in a conference room with Ted Turner right at the middle of, of, of the table. So it's like, I would I would never see the head of the USA Network doing that on an NXT takeover. No way. Nah. I would like to see it, but I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, of course. I can't imagine the lead of uh, or the head of BT Sport coming in on an NXT UK taping and going, this is my domain now. The secret is that the head of BT Sport doesn't want to be there. <laughs> uh, hashtag, we want Gary Lineker on NXT UK. Uh, oh I will pay good God. money for that. Oh, my Lord. I will pay good money for that. <laughs> Jesus. Christ. I'm not even joking. Oh, man. So Turner's kind of um, mindset with this was that, you know, they had just acquired... WWF's biggest star in Bret Hart, and they thought with that momentum that they could have a they have a golden opportunity to capture the remaining fan base from WWF, who are maybe a bit disheartened with Hart leaving, bit disenchanted with the company as a whole, and finally again put the uh, the final nail in the coffin for them. Well, I'd say it didn't work out very well because you know even uh, with Hart's own account. The company did fail to capitalize on his talent and momentum 
and really yeah. did not utilize him to his fullest yeah, ability. Yeah, WCW run was a uh, it was a thing that happened. It's, yeah, it's heartbreaking actually. Hey. Uh, get it? Uh, no, their hope was that Hart would help create, you know, the inroad for foreign markets for for Europe and Canada in particular. Um, but a lot of people were saying that you know they didn't utilize him, which is oh, true. They didn't, they didn't utilize him at all. <laughs> Bischoff says Bischoff's excuse was that Hart's kind of um desire for the for wrestling was not in it anymore after the Montreal screw job. I mean that, like that, 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 on him. that event yeah. that event would do some would do that to a would do that to a person. Absolutely. Yeah. But also this is Bret Hart who lives wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I honestly think, you know, if you had given him enough if you'd given him something that he could really sink his teeth into, God he would have been able to repay you and then some really because like, it's Bret Hart it's yeah it, that's all you need to say it's Bret fucking Hart man Christ <laughs> of course as we all know unfortunately when it looked like they were finally know they finally knew what to do with Bret unfortunately his career was cut short but we'll get to that in uh, we'll get yeah. to that in due course as to what happened there so with all we talked about in 98 with, w, uh, with WCW WWF was gaining a lot of momentum. He revamped his creative approach, brought in Vince Russo as one of the head writers, and now was going straight for a brand new style of television. Television with attitude. Get it? Anyway, uh, he decided to elevate the rising stars like Austin, Rock, Triple H, DX, Mankind and Kane, and really was the turning point and really yeah. I, i'd say I, I mean everyone talks about 98 being the turning point but damn i would even say late 97 with austin was the turning point when austin stunned mcmahon in 97 yeah i'd probably agree with yeah. that to a degree so i mean at this time gosh with mcmahon and austin now about to start their feud of course uh, we had NWO splitting off and fracturing into Hollywood and Wolfpack. Uh, it was safe to say WCW was now starting to get really formulaic. Uh, and, mm. and, it, it, and it showed because fans were switching off at this point and they were complaining about it just being a whole poor... This whole Hollywood Wolfpack storyline was just a rehash of WCW versus NWO. Hmm. Uh, and... The more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> so <laughs> again, was... like like oh, I God. like I say to people, wrestling only really over time has had like it has is it has had a fine finite number of storylines. Yep. And Bischoff <laughs> knows that too people, well. <laughs> is why I tell people we need innovation. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many times we'll get another NWO story. No, I'm just kidding. Uh... <laughs> Trust me, WWE is still trying to recapture it. Yeah, but yeah. we have so we have so many final notes to talk about, don't we? We really, oh, yeah. really do. I will get into WCW's answer to Steve Austin Goldberg. So, 
Goldberg. With Austin being the biggest name in WWF, much to the chagrin of Eric Bischoff, who fired him via edX because apparently he was never going to be a big enough draw for them. Oh, that came to bite you back in the bum, didn't it? That's one of those things where it's just hilarious to hear. Like, even in like hindsight, that is that's God having it out for you. Just like straight up. Their big answer to regain ratings and to try and get at least bottle that success they had with Austin was marketing ex-NFL player Bill Goldberg. Now, I will get in more a little bit more into Goldberg's storyline here, but um, initial thoughts on Goldberg in WCW. I mean, he's this invisible monster, invincible monster, I should say. He could be invisible if you want to, but he's not John Cena. Um... He's an invincible, invincible monster with a massive streak um, of just racking up win after win after win after win, eventually culminating in defeating Hogan at the Georgia Dome on a Monday Nitro for the WCW Championship. But no, what are your thoughts of, of Goldberg in WCW? Can I go first and get this out of the way? Go, go ahead. Respectfully, I never got Goldberg. <laughs> And I can agree with you on some point on that. I, I yeah, I, I know, I know what they were doing, which was we'll take a guy who is a physical monster, bring him in, rack up the wins, make him important, get the title on him, and everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god, who is this?" I, I have I just never yeah. got it. I never I got have... him. I have a hot take, which, but it sounds like extremely mean, mm. and that is, uh, I'm gonna, I feel like, I feel like this is where I get cancelled by. I have to say it from everything I've seen. Goldberg is Brock Lesnar without the talent, which is mean because he has talent. Mm. He does. But you know what I mean? It's just No, I know exactly what you mean. And I I and I will be I'll be the one to get cancelled as well. I agree with you. It's like he is really it's like on one hand, he is really good at this one thing he does. Well yeah, because I know I know one of my friends once described him as Brock Lesnar but without the work rate. <laughs> that is true. That is so... Yeah. It's like it's like he's that He's really good at what he does, and it's one thing. But on the other hand, it's just one thing. Yeah. Which... I think that is exemplified in his match against William Regal, where Regal mm. decided to take him to school. Yeah. Uh, rather than yeah. a two-minute match, Regal uh, wrestled rings around him. Um, now it's it's conflicting reports are to say that Regal went into business for himself, or that Goldberg wanted a match like a match like that with Regal. Depends on who you ask, but uh, I have respect for Regal because it's like, oh, come on, let's make this a match. Oh, all right, you're not going to wrestle with me. Fine, I'll just wrestle rings around you instead. <laughs> that's a very William Regal. That's a very British thing to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, like that is like. William Regal, the most British wrestler next to the British Bulldog, <laughs> doing a very British thing there. So we... It's so passive-aggressive. It's like, come on, look, we're going to have a match, okay? All right, then we'll just do... I'm just going to do the match anyway, then. It's mm. okay, I don't need your part. I'll do it myself. I'll say this. Goldberg in WCW... I just guess Goldberg is a, is a very... 
It's very one-dimensional. Yeah. I think it's the, the, the kindest way He's, I can put he it. Is, he is a real 90s figure. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. The like, whole like... Walking, uh, like, with the security, you know, him standing in the steam, having it, you no. Know, blow out of his nose with the pyro and stuff and his like demeanor and his weird face pulling okay, every can time I sound, spear someone. can i sound like can i be annoying for a moment <sighs> yes absolutely why did goldberg have the security detail that is a question i the moment you said it i was like wait a minute because, like, shouldn't his opponent have them yeah are they stopping goldberg from attacking his opponent because I get, obviously, the thing is, right, they're there to stop people from attacking Goldberg, but also it's Goldberg. <laughs> mm. Just so... Answers on the postcard, please. So weird. So I think yeah. they're trying to make him out to be, like, a big deal. And I can I can guess, I can see a reason as to why they were doing this. Goldberg has stated in the past that he took heavy inspiration with his look, his gimmick, and his ring gear from Dan the Beast 7 and his run I in mean... UFC. And it's yeah, quite no, obvious when you think yeah. about it. Yeah, that's obvious as I fuck. I mean, yeah, it's basically basically looks like Dan Seven <laughs> in in terms of gear, uh, except that Dan Seven had the better theme song. Sorry, I said it. I said it. Nah, you're Ooh. you're truly correct though. Oh boy, oh boy, oh me, oh my, oh me, oh my. Um, We're gonna be hearing that. We're, we're gonna, gonna be hearing, be hearing that. Yeah. Look, yeah. I just said I'm not that I'm not that big a fan of Goldberg, so I'm gonna have people ask me. It takes it may, again. It makes a change from people getting me over the Young Bucks stuff, which was from uh, December, by the way. <laughs> that is true. But, Funny thing is, right. Despite Goldberg's massive popularity and, you know, the, the kind of hype, sorry, my voice broke then, the kind of hype that he was uh, generating in Nitros, it did little to improve their flagging ratings. Especially when the list of opponents Goldberg was going up grew ever more shorter. You know, that's actually quite surprising because I remember Goldberg being a huge deal mm. but here's the thing when they did that match at the georgia dome on monday nitro against hogan for the title it significantly increased that rating for that show but the next week dipped right back down to where they were before that so it, there's a yeah. giant spike if you look at the ratings from uh, of, of wcw nitro to raw at that time, you see this massive spike from uh, WCW, and it is right back down to where they were. It's just that thing of like everyone wants to see like the everyone wants to see like the the big match for the title, and no one gives a crap about anything else that happens in between. Yeah, thinking about it, I think it was a missed opportunity from them because of like oh, yeah. if you had put that on pay per view, that could have generated millions for them. Yeah, of mm. course, people are going to want to see that. I, I, I guess the the thing was you put it on TV because people go, oh wow, they're doing a title match on TV. Mm. So, <laughs> would you like to know during this time in '98 what would have bit what was the one event that actually saw them beat WWF at this time? I'm interested. Bash at the beach. No, it was the return of Ric Flair to reform okay, yeah. the Four Horsemen. <laughs> okay, right. we're doing oh, yeah, this no. again. So that would do it. That would do it. But mm. and you know what? This uh, I mean, he'd been absent from WCW for quite a uh, brief period, uh, having uh, 
uh, contract uh, disagreements with Bischoff. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe Makes this sense. got this 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 when his return with and to reform the horsemen gave us the line. I believe the very famous line Flair said, "You can't fire me. I'm already fired." <laughs> Which has gone down as quite what is one of the most famous Nitro moments ever. And honestly, the way Flair is so impassioned about it, you could tell that he was like, he was not Ric Flair. He was Richard Flyer, and he is pissed with Eric Bischoff right now. Yeah, he was going from the hip. <laughs> yeah. He was really going from the hip in this one. Um, and of course, we get to... Um, at the end, we get to Halloween Havoc, um, which ran over because they decided to put in a tag, mi- tag match at the last minute, which saw the world title, the heavily anticipated world title match between Diamond Dallas Page and Goldberg cut midway yep. through. They had to show that on Nitro for free. And that that was the last time that WCW won over WWF in the ratings war. Now the timing you imagine, part, right? Oh, I'm sorry, but you're there and you're booking and that you're booking a wrestling event and you have your world title match and you forget that you have a limited space on pay per view. Yeah. I mean, it upset millions of viewers who'd paid for that pay-per-view. Of course! Which WCW WCW were forced to reimburse them. Yeah, because they didn't deliver the product they promised. Only to have them... Consumer protection rights. (laughs) Exactly. Only to have them see the main event for free the next night. Now, there's a name I mentioned there that I really want to bring up because the man's story is absolutely phenomenal and I feel deserves his own spotlight. And I feel, honestly, alongside another person we're going to be talking about when we get to 2000, I feel was one of the staple names of WCW. And that is Diamond Dallas Page. That oh, DDP, man. DDP is the story of a wrestler who shouldn't have been a wrestler, but did... And became one of the absolute bloody best in WCW. So here's the thing. We all know the story. Diamond Dallas Page was originally a manager in the AWA. And then eventually would go on to WCW. uh, Managing, I think it was the Diamond Corporation, I believe. Uh, And Uh, his manager, or he managed Diamond Stud. Who, of course, then would become Scott Hall. (laughs) Yep. Um, And at the age of 32, decides, you know what? I've really wanted... I don't want to be a manager. I've always wanted to be a wrestler. So he decides to become a wrestler at the ripe old age of 32. Only finally getting his uh, first match at the age, I believe, of maybe I might have been 35. I may be getting the timeline wrong on that. But he it, well, he was in his mid-30s by the time he was wrestling. Um, and, of course, with that, would seem numerous uh, runs with the US Championship. And then slowly and eventually become... WCW champion and become the people's champion. Yeah. I mean, we should keep in mind that, like, um, when we say, like, mid-30s, this is an American. British wrestlers, <laughs> on the <laughs> other hand. That is, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, 35 is, yeah, yeah, you can start at 35 and wrestle until you're 60. <laughs> There's still plenty of people kicking about on the UK independent scene, or at least in the 50s. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but let's uh, to look- people like DDP, though, A, the man's just 
genuinely must just be built different it's the yoga i swear no, it's like you know what i think enough people have sworn on it that it must be the yoga the yoga must be fantastic um and just the just the thing of like going from being a manager to then training to wrestle becoming a main eventer for i mean a big company man he tagged with Carl Malone and also as well yeah and At like also time. as well when you, when you think about it like that, like I can imagine that probably pissed off the WCW management. Now, here's the thing. He was friends with Bischoff. As a matter of fact, it pissed off Hogan. Oh, of course. Um, oh, here comes a guy who's way too old now getting this opportunity. As a matter of fact, Savage and Flair were really supportive of DDP. Uh, yeah, Savage was Savage, kind of like... His... Randy Savage is a G, though. Oh, absolutely. Savage was like, I tell you what, because they were having a match. I believe one time they were having a match together and uh, Savage was supposed to go over to which Savage goes, oh, you know something, man? Uh, you can have the rub this time. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I did it that way, but I did. I can't take it back now. <laughs> but no, th- I did the Hogan voice earlier, so you're good. <laughs> That's We've set true. precedent. True. Uh, but I think it just shows how he was really quite beloved by the talent up to a certain point. And, you know, a lot of people did have, well, Hogan might have had a problem with him being Bischoff's friend and stuff, but I think, geez, but the fact he was in his mid-30s was having these great caliber matches. I think DDP proved his own and was worthy of being in the main event position. And as I said, he was the first guy to... um, A very famous scene of Hall and Nash trying to recruit DDP. He was the first guy to reject them. He, you know, he did the whole stick of putting on the NWO shirt, shook hands with uh, with Nash and decided, uh, nope, diamond cutters him straight, straight into the ground. And then he runs into the crowd. The crowd are going nuts. And he does, of course, the self high five, the diamond sign. And that's when he was proclaimed as the people's champion. Um... Which I'm still angry that WWF didn't do DDP versus The Rock. Yeah, yeah what happened when, there? When, yeah, okay, it's called uh, DDP went to WWF and WWF are like, what do we do with him? Oh. Stalker. Lower card. <laughs> Have him be a stalker. Uh, oh, God. I've got many words about that, but we'll get onto that in a future episode. <laughs> But no, like seriously, I feel like I I would have been um, I would have uh, really upset myself if I you know we were talking about WCW and did not talk about Diamond Dallas Page. Nah, I think I think DDP is an incredibly important person to the kind of the the story of WCW at this time. Absolutely, I mean, of course he was. He was a main eventer and held the title. <laughs> so back to where we were with Goldberg. Now, his undefeated streak, as everyone knows, they were, WCW were, you know, pinning all of their efforts for ratings um, dominance with Goldberg's undefeated streak. But of course, you know, it had to come to an end some uh, at some point. So, despite his popularity, Kevin Nash, who had managed to get his way into being the head booker for WCW at this time, sets himself up to defeat Goldberg at N- Starcade in 1999. Now, it's not a bad match per se. It's just the way it goddamn ended. 
So Goldberg, yeah. looking like he was going to win, sets himself up for the spear, is suddenly tased by a security guard. Oh no, wait, that's Scott Hall in a security shirt. I still remember the I still can remember the visual of Scott Hall with a cattle prod just like absolutely jamming that thing in Goldberg's chest so enabling Nash to pick up the win and becoming WCW champion because of course Nash is the head booker la 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 again I say this to people there's a it's not as much as you can try and trust in the faith and the goodness of people, right? If you give people power and they can exercise power for their own gain, they're going to do it. <laughs> so Kevin Nash's booking at this time is something I do want to go over. Is something. It's certainly something. <laughs> oh, man, this was terrible because I'm going to have to go over the flipping... I'm going to have to go over it. Yes. January 4th, 1999, it's Monday Nitro. The match originally advertised for this one is a Starcade rematch between Nash and Goldberg. Now, as a result, the arena, which again, it's the Georgia Dome, was a complete sellout with 40,000 people uh, packing the dome to watch this rematch. Now, during the whole event, uh, they're billing this as the biggest match in the history of our sport. You know, and they say, oh, I'm like the WWF. This is a real main event, you know. Oh, God. Right. Oh, but 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 instead of Goldberg and Nash, Goldberg was kayfabe arrested after stalk apparently stalking Miss Elizabeth and was replaced by the returning Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, he was ab- who was a bin- who had been absent Yay. from the company. As part of an angle where he would claim to be retired from wrestling. <laughs> the match starts. Hogan fakes a punch on Nash. But instead instead of going through with it, pokes him in the chest. Where Nash oversells it. Hogan pins him to win the WCW Championship. Hence... You better watch out. You might see the finger poke of doom. Uh, this. Oh, and of course, boy. the NWO has reunited to form the NWO elite. The oh, more God. things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, this, of course, was the exact same episode where under direct orders from Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone was told to give away the results of Monday Night Raw that saw Mick Foley become WWF champion, thinking, oh, now that we've given that result, they'll all stay for this main event. Turns out that had the exact opposite effect. That is, like, genuinely, when I hear about that, I'm like, that is one of the most... I'm going to say smooth brain moments ever. Of course, the very (laughs) famous line from Shivani saying, huh, that's going to put some butts in the seats. Oh man! You tell people there's a title change happening on TV. Now, gentlemen, especially with Mick Foley yeah, in it. I mean, exactly. again, I don't know like what the perception exactly of Mick Foley was at the time. I mean, this was but after like, I believe the Hell in the Cell incident at King of the Ring. So at this point, I would imagine his character is over as heck at this point yeah. in WWF. Absolutely. So, gentlemen, do you know the number of households who, when Shivani made that announcement, changed the channel to watch Mick Foley win the WWF Championship? 
It was some ridiculous number, I think. Okay, so we're saying at this time, right? Yeah. Um, WCW was pulling what? Four mil? Four mil. Four to three at this point. I'm going to go one and a half million. It was 300,000 households at that moment. But over the course, Nielsen ratings indicate that it shortly became a million as the night went on. It's crazy, wow. isn't it? That's crazy. This, is why, this one there, and I'm like, the, you know, that they are saying that as if like they don't know what's happening on their own show. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> oh my god. So, before we get on to my next chapter, I'll quickly run down some of the things that were happening around in WCW in 1999. A lot of things, actually. So, they were trying their absolute best to kind of capture pop culture at its, uh, well, at its best and worst, I'd imagine. Um, You know, getting in Dennis Rodman for another match. Getting Jay Leno to have a match with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Let's not forget that visual. Having Rick Steiner have a promo with Chucky to promote the 1998 film The Bride of Chucky. Let's not forget that. And remember at this time, the mid-card was absolutely being uh, decimated, with guys who were really wanting to hit that main event spot not getting any chances, and most of them looking for greener pastures in the WWF. I can't understand when you have guys like Jericho, Malenko, Billy Kidman, Chavo Guerrero, and Eddie Guerrero, Perry Saturn, Raven... Booker T and Rey Mysterio, you would keep them away from the main event scene. Real, real talk. It's just, it's literally just um, Hulk Hogan. It's really. I was going to say, I believe that the answer to your question uh, is five letters long, begins with H, uh, ends with N, and rhymes with Bogan. Oh, that's <laughs> that is true. Let's not forget as well about this time in late '99. Um, oh. well, WCW began to lose around $5 million a month. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a fair bit of money to be hemorrhaging yeah. like, every month. Because of this, Harvey Schiller, who was uh, head and president of Turner Sports and acted as Eric Bischoff's kind of, um, boss, fired him. <laughs> after oh, several, fa- well, after that and several failed storylines, including, right... WCW pumping a considerable amount of money to license Kiss to have a wrestler oh, called the Kiss God. Demon. Oh no. oh no. Oh no. God let's, damn it, Kiss. Let's not forget that I, they had can we Kiss. Stop, can we stop giving Gene Simmons money and authority? Yes, please. <laughs> Oh, man. So with Bischoff's removal, an announced million-dollar contest was scrapped and a planned Nitro animated series was scrapped as well. The very infamous Road Wild pay-per-view, which was basically Eric Bischoff on a motorbike holiday in Sturgis, was cancelled as well. Because, come on, everyone knows Eric Bischoff loves motorbikes and that was just an excuse for him to have a motorbike holiday. Yep. Not that I blame him, though. (laughs) So this brings us to the year 1999 and the arrival 
are Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) He was... So Bischoff was unexpectedly replaced by... uh, (laughs) Was replaced by the Vice President of Strategic Planning, Bill Bush, who would then bring in Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara as head creatives and writers. They presented themselves to Bill Bush as the heads and the geniuses behind the Attitude Era, and they uh, offered and he offered him uh, lucrative contracts for them to jump ship to WCW, hoping that they could capture what Vinco and Ferrara was replicating with their Crash TV to bring that into WCW. To um, mixed results, as <laughs> I say. Yeah. So, oh god, where do I? Oh god, where do we start with Russo in WCW? <laughs> uh, are we still in '99 at this point? I mean, we're talking '99, 2000 at this point now. Okay, well, let's just start off the top from 2000, January 2000. <laughs> Okie doke. So, January 2000. Bret Hart, unfortunately, at this time had to vacate the World Heavyweight Championship due to an uh, an errant super kick from Goldberg hitting him square in the head and causing a, quite an awful concussion, which was a build-up of uh, previous concussions that he had had in the weeks prior. It's just a shame that Brett, had, like with Brett, had been picked up all this momentum and finally became world champion. He loses it in such a, an awful fashion. So, of course, uh, the world title bounces around and eventually falls onto the lap of the returning Sid Vicious. Starting Sid. starting with the bumbling idiot Sid, because of course Vince Russo likes a bumbling idiot in his company. Of course, at this time, uh, Sid gave us the very famous "You are half the man that I am, but I have half the brain that you do" promo to Kevin Nash. <laughs> it's it's so great. <laughs> and of course, my one of my favorite moments, of course, is when Goldberg would demolish and crush Sid's car. With the very famous, hey Moses, where's my car, man? Oh, it's in day 22. 20. 22! <laughs> oh, man, they really made Sid out oh. to be a bumbling freaking idiot at this point. And of course, this would garner the very famous uh, bouncing around of the WCW championship in the year 2000. God, it bounced yep. from Jarrett to Nash to Nash to Jarrett to Jarrett to Nash to Hogan, to Nash. And in the midst of all of this, they were still trying to do the car crash television that that, that was paved so successfully to um, WWF, but fast-forwarding it at about five times five time speed, <laughs> which never worked. <laughs> and it was never going to work at this time. I, I think one of the things at this time as well, wasn't there just a bunch of angles that would just start and just never get expanded on at any point? Absolutely. Of course, which led to the very famous moment of a Nitro in 2000 where a returning Eric Bischoff came back with Vince Russo, who had been on a little break, and vacated every single championship in WCW territory. Mixed day things for... up. It was oh, a great God. day for vacant. I will say. Oh, what even if a time. even even if though by their own admission, Vacant has stated that they were getting annoyed that yes. they were putting all the titles on them repeatedly. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's not forget as well at this time, 
just in the beginning of 2000, going going back, they had put the title on Chris Benoit as a kind of like a showing of goodwill because Benoit, along with friends Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn, were looking to get the hell out of Dodge because they saw the writing on the wall. So Benoit, being champion for one day, decides to... You know what? As good as this is, now nah, screw it. I'm going to take my chances and go to the WWF. And of course, as everyone knows, that worked out well for all four men. Uh, maybe except for Perry Saturn, who ended up. No, I was going to say, I really don't feel like it's fair to say that for Perry Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> he got Terry Runnels, so there we go. Maybe to that's be fair, like most of Perry Saturn's issues in WWF are largely caused also by Perry Saturn. <laughs> yeah. So. <it's> true. <laughs> Of course, they would become the popular stable known as the Radicals. Gosh, uh, with under Russo's leadership, with the whole thing of him now being a front-facing talent for some bizarre reason, being the force, the president, I guess you could say, the authority figure for WCW, yeah. they were tanking in the ratings. Nitro. It was it was it was genuinely a visual representation of let's just throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks, but actually throwing stuff at a wall. Exactly. Gosh, the storylines they had here with Sting and Vampiro that didn't end up well. They had the ICP though, so you know. Shout Hell out to yeah. my juggalos and juggalos. <laughs> they had the oh, great nice. mooter in that stable with Vampiro as well, which blows my mind. The Great Muta is now is now technically a member of ICP by association, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> so they were trying absolutely everything. Of course, they had the storyline going of the New Blood and the Millionaires Club, which saw the Millionaires oh Club of God. the Old Guard. Uh, and the New Blood... Uh, trying to state their claim to the main event. But I can't understand the new blood being the heels in that. <laughs> hey, guess what? It's like the exact same storyline. Do you want to know exactly who copied it? Oh, yeah. Uh, WWE and ECW. Yeah. And also TNA. Hey. <laughs> Remember Fortune 4? Oh, we're going to change some things. Uh... Remember Immortal? <laughs> Please don't. So with all of this happening, with it just being in the doldrums with uh with the same episode when they vacated all the titles uh, with Mike Awesome debuting their ECW champion Mike Awesome debuting yeah. nothing was working so they put all of their efforts into a comedy film known as Ready to Rumble and to and to advertise and promote the smash hit success of what would be Ready to Rumble they were pitched an idea how about we kick in a storyline. Jeff Jarrett kidnaps David Arquette. Yes. <sighs> yes. Go on. With Diamond, and with Diamond Dallas Page being his ally, Arquette's ally, he goes and tries to find him to m not much success. But then a match at WCW uh, Thursday Night Thunder is set. Arquette and DDP versus Jarrett and Eric Bischoff. DDP is world champion, by the way. I might I want to put I want to state this before I go on. Yeah. The person who scores the pinfall victory for their team becomes WCW champion. Now, that's a very important thing I want everyone to realize. Anyone who pins anyone becomes WCW champion. 
So the match starts. It's a fairly innocuous match. David Arquette really isn't in this match for quite a while. Until like a like a hot tag sees him beat the crap out of uh, uh, Eric Bischoff. Who's still in his karate gear. Let's never forget that Eric Bischoff's one true gimmick when he has a wrestling match. Is that he's a black belt in karate. Yeah. <laughs> David Arquette spears Eric Bischoff. As DDP's hit the diamond cutter on Jeff Jarrett and has pinned him. But the referee doesn't see DDP pin Jarrett. He sees David Arquette pin Eric Bischoff. One, two, three. Arquette is your new WCW champion. Arquette didn't want to do it. That's the that's yeah. the that's I think the major thing here. Yes. Yeah, the important context is that David Arquette said, I don't want to do this because I respect the business. Yep. Poor guy thrown into a situation he had no control over, basically. Yep. <laughs> and so to to try and be a massive ratings draw, it only well, it only got worse for them. I think it went from two point five to one point uh one point three the next week. I mean, the thing is, is it's like, you know, as as a company, when you do that kind of thing, it, it is very much a matter of you are jumping the shark. Oh, gosh, yeah. At that point, absolutely. I mean, you thought you wouldn't get worse. Trust me, it gets worse. <laughs> they tried to make... Uh, so before we get into this, Jim Ross has gone on point saying that when Arquette winning it was a farce and an embarrassment. David Crockett, the brother, uh, the brother of Jim Crockett Jr., who worked as one of the produ- backstage producers for WCW, said that they may as well have thrown the title in the bin. Which I can't say that I blame him for saying, because, come on, you, you know, your brother helped build this company, and now you're seeing a... All right, I'm going to say it. A, uh, would I even say B-list movie actor winning it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's nice. Yeah. At the time... Because I feel like Arquette's kind of redeemed himself, I'd oh, say. Yeah. Um, uh, especially, especially with the the some of the really cool indie films he's done uh, recently. I feel like Arquette's definitely redeemed himself for sure. But at the time, oofed, oofed. Oh boy. But hey, look, look at it this way. With everything said about this and David Arquette and with Ready to Rumble, it did give us one of the greatest world champions in Jimmy King. Respect to Jimmy yeah. King. <laughs> Mess up. Uh, so another storyline, of course, at this time, saw Goldberg turn heel for the first time, which really didn't work and was a, kind of botched quite bad, actually. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, just a lackluster feud with Kevin Nash and a failed attempt to duplicate his original winning streak. It, I mean, it was proof then, and I think his drawing power was greatly diminished because of this. And of course, this leads us to Bash at the Beach 2000. Russo was having a lot of backstage conflicts with Hogan, and the first match was going to be Hogan versus Jarrett for the world title. Um, due to many arguments about how the match was going to be finished, Jarrett decide, they just decide for Jarrett to lay down. Hogan put a foot over Jarrett for the free to win the championship. Hogan gets on the mic and says, well, you know, this is shit. I don't want this happening anymore. I've, um, and I was like, oh, is it shit like this that's uh, the company, why the company's in the shape it's in? Yeah. I believe that's what he said. And which brings Vince Russo out to um, deliver a shoot speech, calling uh, uh, Hogan a piece of shit. 
which would eventually lead to Hogan filing a defamation of character lawsuit to Vince Russo. <laughs> but the match was changed to have Booker T up against Jeff Jarrett. And this leads to Booker T winning his first world championship. Now, I, before we get into the worst part of the 2000, I want to talk about Booker T and how that man, through sheer force of will and grit, managed to finally get to the position he deserved at his time in WCW. That I man. mean, it genuinely yeah. took him, like, going through basically hell. Yep. Yes, absolutely. It took him I, from going... I, they, say, they say that he grew his dreads in hell trying to get up to this moment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He ended up going from like Harlem Heat, one of the best darn tag teams WCW ever had, to going out on a singles run for the US Championship, to losing the T in his name, to then becoming GI Bro, to then finally <laughs> winning the World Championship. I say that Booker T fucking deserved that. <laughs> I fucking love GI Bro. <laughs> but of course, he would flip-flop it between himself and Jarrett at this time in 2000, culminating... In the San Francisco 49ers match. This is going to sound really... Did Steiner win it at this point as well? No, after after the San Francisco 49ers match. Okay, after match, the 49ers match, which uh, is, Steiner again, one of the most cursed match types to ever exist. <laughs> um, infuriated by Russo's actions at Bash at the Beach, Bischoff left WCW once more. Uh, this again, I could you could definitely tell at this time, it was going absolutely downhill because guess what, Vince Russo, in all of his infinite wisdom, decided to book himself in a cage match with Booker T for the world title with escape rules. Goldberg spears Russo through the cage, and as Russo was the first one out, he is now WCW champion. You see, this is why, right? You have to be careful with the technicalities of rules in wrestling. Yes. <laughs> Look, this this moment is I I honestly find fascinating on so many levels. Like mm. I it's hot it's so hard to even like even like talk, where where do we begin with this moment? The fact that Vince Russo is, is in full New York Giants American football gear for this match. Or that he booked himself into a shoot, brother. I don't know. It's, oh, it's just... I just like, God, again, I think that I'll just have to talk about this at the end. Let's talk <laughs> about this at the end. Uh, of course, this leads again to the, I would say, was, you know, the final nail in the coffin uh, for them. With Booker T and Steiner still having really good matches at this point they had a great match at full brawl wcw mayhem would see uh steiner win the title and become the longest reigning wcw champion in the year 2000 believe it or not i believe it changed 22 times in the year 2000 the world heavyweight championship good Jesus. lord good fucking god it, it's, it's crazy isn't it <laughs> So, by the year 2000, Russo was completely gone from the promotion, leaving Terry Taylor and Johnny Ace to hold the reins at this time. My goodness. Johnny Ace. So, we get to 2001. The attempted, the attempted buyout from Eric Bischoff. So, 
how did this come about? I'm glad I'm glad I asked Sam. <laughs> Time Warner, of course, at this time, Time Warner was about to become a thing with AOL about to buy out um, Ted Turner's company. And uh, one of the things, as everyone knows, in the buyout at this time of that was that um, AOL had no business in wanting to have a wrestling product. <laughs> and so, but all, so, uh, so, uh, where were we? Yes. So, the financial burdens um, at this time when AOL was looking at it when WCW was kind of hemorrhaging funds from Ted Turner was proof that um, that they weren't... Um, <laughs> what's the word? They weren't the most profitable company in the world. Hi, welcome to our office. Here's the, here's the, here's the pit where we burn all the money. <laughs> so with all of this and Ted Turner so stringent in keeping wrestling as a thing, when AOL merged with Time Warner... Uh, Turner was effectively forced out of the company and this gave them the impetus to uh, see what they can cut from Turner. So, Mm -hmm. as WCW tried to alleviate the strain of debt in 2001, it just proved too much for AOL Time Warner. And uh, once it gained the power to sell uh, sell off WCW, Time Warner looked to do so in order to cut its losses. So a sale in late 2000 to Bischoff and a group of investors calling themselves Fusion Media Ventures were advertising and flat out stated during WCW programming that they were going to buy out WCW and that it was going to live on um, regardless of whether it was going to be owned by Ted Turner or not. Um, I, I mean, everyone knows that there was a very famous newspaper uh, advert- advertisement of yeah. uh, about a brand new WCW that I think the quote was that they took of it, its logo looks like um, a bird pooped on the car bonnet. Oh, man. Great, isn't it? They were also advertising a pay-per-view known as the Big Bang, which was going to be the reset and reboot of World Championship Wrestling. But as everyone knows, this didn't happen. Because Fusion Media Ventures backed out when Turner Network's head, Jamie Kelmer, formally cancelled all WCW programming from its television networks. With no network on which to air its programming, and no network wanting to pick up the product. Yeah, that would be a death knell. WCW was of little value to Fusion whose offer did depend on being able to continue on the programming. Bischoff, though, has stated in his book that he did try to receive offers or try to um, get offers from NBC and Fox. Of course, those didn't really go anywhere. Which leads us to March the 23rd, 2001, where all of WCW's trademarks and tape library, as well as a select... 24 contracts were sold to Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation for three million dollars. Three million, really? Yep, three million dollars. As Vince, of course, during his court case with the whole Hall and Nash debacle, got first dibs and gave them a low ball offer because, of course, no one was going to offer them as much as that. Oh yeah, no one was going to yeah. 
pay the money that they were asking for. <laughs> and so leads us to the final Nitro from Panama City Beach in Florida. Now, I'm going to, like we did with our last episode, I'm going to run down the card for WCW Nitro, Night of Champions. Now, I'll say this, right? Great visual of having it, like, during spring break on a beach. Great visual. But it's just a shame that not many people turned up, despite the fact that there was going to be free beer at the event. I would have thought more people would have turned up to this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So for a night of champions, it's a bit weird for the opening contest to this. Um, Be the WCW World Heavyweight title, United States title, unification match. But I guess, I guess, you know... Oh, everyone loves a good old unification match to start off a pay-per-view. But I guess if you're being booked by Johnny Ace and Bruce Pritchard, I guess that's the way you're going to go for that sort of thing, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But I will say that there was a great opening promo from Ric Flair talking about the history of WCW with the world's worst haircut from Ric Flair, may I add as well. (laughs) Talking about how he wanted to have a match with Sting uh, to mar- uh, to end and put a footnote in World Championship Wrestling. Of course, a great, uh, again, one thing I will say about this entire card and this event is that everything was on double speed. So not many matches last 10 minutes here. This World Championship Unification match lasts only five minutes. And it's not much, not, a, not like the, the greatest match that Booker and Steiner had had, but it did give us the great visual of Booker T holding the US and World Championships up a high as he becomes uh, WCW champion for a fifth time and closes out uh, WCW with uh, as its last world champion. We then get on to the number one contendership freeway tag match for the Cruiserweight Tag Team titles to be uh, contested later on in the show. The Filthy Animals defeating Free Count and the Young Dragons... Now, this is free count without Sugar Shane Helms. I, I'd like to add that. And the filthy animals of Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. Again, this is an absolute spot fest and only goes for three minutes. That's God. just crazy. Jesus. <laughs> and then, of course, we get a lot of backstage uh, segments of Vince McMahon talking about uh, how he's going to be doing his special simulcast popping champagne with Trish Stratus and making out with her face. William Regal calling uh, calling WCW uh, a lost cause at this point. Uh, everyone knows, of course, the very famous segment during Monday Night Raw where Vince had WWF and WCW on the same TV and Vince yep. uh, firing Jeff Jarrett at the, on the spot. <laughs> Yay! And we then get to the World Cruiserweight title match between Shane Helms and Chavo Guerrero. Shane Helms, of course, with one of the great songs that WCW had at the time, the Verta Breaker rap song, when he had backing dancers in his entrance as well. Ah. Weird. But again, Verta Breaker, great finisher. Uh, again, didn't last very long, this match. Then we had the tag titles match, where the champions, Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare, defeating Team Canada, Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Again, Match only lasts three minutes. 
They really see throughout this whole thing. If you've watched this event, this is basically this is this is forget the matches. They're only a couple of minutes long. We just want to get back to Vince stroking his ego that he won the war. Yep. We get what else was it gonna be? Exactly. We get a singles match with Sean Stasiak defeating Bam Bam Bigelow. But if Sean, the stipulation was if Sean Stasiak lost, he would have to have a tattoo on his face from Bam Bam Bigelow. Because, of course, the man has many tattoos, so he's got to be a tattoo artist, surely. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, and then we get the Cruiserweight Tag Team title match of Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio defeating Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo to become the new Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. Those titles only lasted, I believe, a month and a half. Not even that, I think. Not, I think they only lasted, like, eight days. Now, here's a fun fact. Would you like to know that one of the tag teams that was uh, contesting for the Cruiserweight Tag Team titles was the little team called Air Raid, the team of Air Paris, and one AJ Styles. Yep. Wow, my God. Young AJ. Young AJ Styles. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about it on the titles, title designs, the Cruiserweight Tag titles look so damn weird. Like they were like- Oh, they were awful. Like pieces of sheet metal that were just stuck on cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course we get the main event of Sting versus Ric Flair which was the longest match at 7 minutes 19 seconds capping off WCW unceremoniously my I add cutting to Vince McMahon and the very famous promo of Shane coming out saying that he owns WCW and that's the end of WCW no ifs no buts they advertised Wrestlemania 17 at the end of that no grand farewell Yep. End of WCW as we know it. Now, as a matter of fact, that wasn't WCW's last show. As a matter of fact, they uh, had their syndicated show internationally. WCW Worldwide was their last, last show. And they would just show highlights from Thunder, uh, Nitro, and a couple of dark matches here and there. But that was officially the last program on uh, uh, TB TBS it would have been and on yeah. international circuits so that would have been channel 5's last wcw program as well thus culminating at the end of wcw it was a long and lonely road but they got there eventually only for it to just collapse in the worst fashion possible <laughs> yeah so man. gentlemen with everything that's been said, me chronicling the history, I hope I went over it, and I hope you're happy with the stuff I went over, of course. Oh, absolutely. Did a great, great job. Oh, thank you. Stop it, you. Oh, I just... Oh, God. God. No, I'm just saying I have so many thoughts, so many notes. I don't know where even to begin without making this even longer than it already is. Well, I'm going to... That's that's the one. Our thoughts on WCW, World Championship Wrestling, and I guess its lasting impact and legacy. Do you want me to start, or do you want to go... Yeah, right? you, you start, because I have so many, I have so many <laughs> thoughts. Um... In terms of the legacy of WCW, I think the big thing that should... I mean, the big thing that should be its legacy is as a competitor, in a weird way. Mm. Yes. And for being, you know, having to remember, it was of equivalent size, it was of equivalent stature at point. Um, I guess the lasting legacy, I would say, of it is a lot of the kind of different sense of creativity it had around matches. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the mid-card and the talent that they introduced through WCW to an American audience. Absolutely. Um, other than that, though, I feel like it got to a point where the company was just too focused on other people to sort out their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll 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 leave you with I'm gonna leave you with the lasting uh, the lasting uh, word on this, uh, Rid. And for my thoughts, it's WCW. As you were talking about competition, is proof that competition breeds creativity. And I don't think I can't think of a more creative time in the world of professional wrestling than mid to late nineties uh, WWF and WCW. Because some of the great storylines, some of the greatest wrestlers and storytellers came from 90s wrestling, if you ask me. Um, Not to mention, I think, the the forward thinking of Bischoff bringing in uh, established luchadors in Mexico and some of the greats in Japan to to bolster that mid-card and to give everyone a, a new kind of unexpected kind of new take on professional wrestling was genius on his part and i feel that for me is one of the lasting legacies of wcw is that it's wrestling in like a fund in a fun- fundamental standpoint it's wrestling was miles better than wwf's Controversial mm. opinion, I know but <laughs> i mean yeah you know what, what re-watching it like because um WWF was in full crash TV yeah. at that point. You're right, yeah. actually. Um, but no, I feel like for me, I feel a lot. Why I'm not. That's why a lot of people still fondly remember WCW, and I feel that's why it still it, it will never leave the conversation when talking about pro wrestling. <laughs> Reardon, your thoughts. On the lasting legacy, and just WCW in general. WCW. I always come back to the question: Was it doomed? Was it <laughs> always doomed? That's the question I've always thought about. Mm. It had so much talent, so much like great wrestlers, so much like money, frankly, yeah. being poured into it from sources that like were fully allowed to just go ham <laughs> but as we like established from um from part 1 there's always this thing of weird ass booking not really knowing what they were going not really knowing what their brand was other than not WWF so was it always going to just break down eventually I think that's kind of the thing. Yeah, because it's like, and because like, when you look at its time level, the fact that it ended just as the new millennium started feels sad but appropriate. Yeah. It was something truly of its time that no one else can know, that like it could, maybe it could only exist in the 90s (laughs) of that kind of time. And that's something, that's a question that always rankles. And I would love for um our listeners to like to like talk to us about what you think on that was it always gonna 
Was it always doomed? Was the foundations just not well, solid to, enough? Just to sidetrack here, and just to quote to quote mm. my boy Kristen from Tiger Driver, uh, WCW should have won. <laughs> you know it's, what? I I agree no, with Christian. It, it should have won, but was it, it ever didn't. going to? No. That's like, and like so. But honestly, as time has gone on. That, that that thing that we popped up, the more things change, is the thing that I I oft, often think about when it comes to WCW. Because the lessons of WCW were not learned. And no. you see it in today's yeah. product every you week saw, on yeah. Monday Night Raw. Yeah. <laughs> you see it, yeah, you see it in TNA when Hulk Hogan came back and subsumed it yep. again. Yep. You see it with... You see it with WWE today, where, where the, like uh, in, the NXT AEW counter programming debacle. Yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. And when you and when you see um, and when you see how Vince McMahon has rewritten the story and history of the Monday Night Wars. Oh yeah. In a way that seems like yeah, he definitely didn't learn from those lessons. Absolutely not. Just did not straight up learn it. And it's always kind of like, I find watching, whenever I watch AE, AEW, that that's the, the WCW is always the sword of Damocles kind of on its head. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, thank you, Reading, because that's what, same. I feel that all the time. Like, And I feel yeah. what's not and- helped is that a lot of fans, I feel a lot, a lot of fans... I guess for uns- unfairly as well, make too many comparisons uh, to yeah. WCW with AEW. No, it's 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 unfair. It's a very different time. It's a very different programming. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it's unreasonable to have that in the back of your head, Absolutely. especially especially with like you know whenever like especially considering like. The death of WCW was the death of any kind of serious competition for at least 20 years? Yeah. I mean, because I know people could say TNA, and they did make a I, bloody good go of it. Look, but... look I love TNA. I do. We all but, do. But um, nah. nah, I'm sorry. It just never was. Nah. And the fact that they tried it was another death knell, but again... <laughs> Oh, but it's... I, yeah, it's that. It's always it's always this spectre that's hung around, yeah. and I've always it's always kind of like it's a cautionary tale. WCW is a true cautionary tale because it had everything that it could have done, and it just crashed upon the rocks. <laughs> huh. And yeah, that's honestly that. If there's anything, if there's anything like um. If I have a, a note, it's those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. That is yeah. my, that is my, that's my word on it. And that is a fantastic quote to end this two-parter on the history of WCW. I am exhausted after that, <laughs> after all that research and looking through yep. stuff. I'm hoping that was concise enough. And more co- like cohesive enough to go through the timeline. Again, I will make a- an apology if I have omitted stuff or I've got stuff um, I was inaccurate with the timeline. My sincerest apologies with that. But I hope 
um, like with these two and with everyone listening that you enjoyed that as much as as much as I enjoyed talking about it with these two. Oh yeah. Oh right. Cheers. Oh no no no. That was a lot of fun. I'm never doing anything like that again. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're never doing anything like that until the hundredth episode. Oh Jesus, yeah, that is true. <laughs> but no, um, well, fifty episodes in, man. Fifty bloody episodes. It's been God an absolute pleasure to be doing this with your chaps. It really yeah. has oh, been yeah. this year. Yeah. This this year of Russ doing this has been really freaking awesome. And damn, cannot thank you enough that uh um for doing for you know believing in me uh and it's been a privilege being able to share this with two incredibly creative and gifted people as well bro thank you for believing in me <laughs> yeah ah oh, stop it you two, you two you two are talented enough i'm just riding on your coattails <laughs> listen <laughs> i i can't listen I, it's, uh, you know what i'm not gonna be mushy i'm not gonna be mushy <laughs> instead i am going to say Cheers to 50 more and beyond, and that is all I will say. Hell, hell yeah. Alrighty, so next episode, we're going to be doing a very, very special one. It's going to be a Q&A uh, podcast where we're going we're gonna to throw it out to all of our lovely community and followers over at the, on the Sweet Chinwag to ask us anything you want to know, whether it be wrestling, uh, technical stuff, if you want to talk about my time at what culture wrestling feel free to talk, feel free to ask about that i've got some weird stories to tell you uh but no anything you want to ask any three of us feel free to i'm pretty sure that dan will be posting anyone a tweet. Said, uh, um, i'll be putting a tweet out if anyone sends me a question about the young buck situation you're instantly banned <laughs> <laughs> We're going full Hideki Kamiya blocking and Twitter, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll just find a way to ban them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to be a lot of fun. And as I said, Dan will be putting out a tweet. And so fire any questions that you have away uh, to us. And we'll answer them as best as we possibly can, within reason, of course. If you want to ask our credit card information, you're not getting that. I'll DM you instead. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but until then... I have been Sam, this has been Dan and Reardon, and you have been listening to the Sweet Chin Web podcast. We will see you as ever on the next one. As Reardon said, here's to 50 more! May you all get finger poked with doom. <laughs>